With Sotictu for moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, you could show off your skin again. And you know what that means. Beach day. As a Tic2 inhibitor, Sotic2 is the only once daily pill of its kind for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. Ask your dermatologist about Sotic2 today and learn more at SoClearlyYou.com. That's SoClearlyYou.com. Sotic2 decravacitinib is a prescription treatment for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis who may benefit from systemic therapy or phototherapy. Don't take if you're allergic to Sotic2. Serious reactions can occur. Before treatment, get checked for infections, including tuberculosis. Sotic2 can lower your ability to fight infections. Don't start if you have one. Serious infections, cancers including lymphoma, muscle problems, and changes in certain labs have occurred. Tell your doctor if you have a history of these events or if you have an infection or symptoms like fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, or if you have history of hepatitis B or C, liver or kidney problems, high triglycerides, or had a vaccine or plan to. So Tick 2 inhibits Tick 2, which is part of the Jack family. People 50 and older with heart disease risk factors who use a Jack inhibitor are at increased risk for certain side effects, sometimes fatal. It's unknown if So Tick 2 has the same risks as Jack inhibitors. Call 1-888-SOTYKTU to learn more. That way we can let Bill WD-40 into the chat room to lube us up for tonight's show. Because you always want to go into a show nice and smooth. Just slide on in. Uh, Tim Mothman and your goatee. How are you tonight? Derek Galloway. What's happening, my man? Debster, thank you for kicking off the Super Chat tonight. Very much appreciate your love and support, Deb. The Super Chat is a wonderful way to support what we do on a nightly basis. You can also join our Space Travelers Club by going to patreon.com. The link is below in the description of this show. Continuing on here, uh, Pam Harris, thank you for joining us. Am I missing anybody? Robert Lamoth, I said. Um... SG Dav Spotter, good to see you. I think we're caught up. Mike Rivers, how are you? All right, here we go, everyone. We got 10 seconds. We're going to have a great show with Teddy. <clears throat> Get your questions ready. Horns up. Let's rock. From the mountains of central British Columbia to you listening around the world, this, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, talk stream live at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at spaced out radio, Instagram at spaced out radio show, and on TikTok at spaced out radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. 
A power show coming at you tonight as we talk about the mysteries of the Dietlov Pass. Teddy Hadieska will be with us momentarily. She is going to go two and a half hours with us tonight. So much info. And she's got incredible hair, too. And you'll love her laugh. You will. But the knowledge, wow, wow, wow. And then tonight is also Strange News Night and Dave 101 Night. Ooh, we're going to get into it. All right, let's get to Teddy Hadiska, shall we? She's all over the map, born in Bulgaria, raised in Cuba, lived in America for 10 years, based in Austria, never stays in one place for too long. Why? Because she loves to travel. She loves to explore and mountaineer with a propensity to find herself in the center of disasters. She's been caught up in avalanches, volcano eruptions, rock falls, and permafrost slides. Staying home doesn't help much. One evening while she was watching TV, the ceiling collapsed right on top of her. She's going to die. She'd prefer to do it with a view somewhere. In 2012, she was evacuated in Indonesia after an active volcano on the island, and she found herself bedridden with a subdural hematoma, shattered elbow and scapula, and flail chest, six broken ribs after a near-death accident with a runaway truck. Yep, this is what leads her to the Dietlob Pass case, believe it or not. You will notice close similarities between her trauma and that of two hikers in 1959 who passed away at the pass. The pathologist described as hard to explain under any circumstances. It looked as if she had had, uh, been caused by a moving car, but no, she's a survivor. Her website is dietlovepass.com. And we love it when Teddy comes on Spaced Out Radio. This is her third appearance here on the show, and we love that she is here. Teddy, welcome back to the show. How you been doing? Thank you for having me, Dave. How you been doing? I'm great. Other than it's uh, early in the morning and I'm not an early bird, but I'm happy to be up for all of you. So it's a good day. A good start of the day. Once so a fun. year, once a year, we bring you on, <laughs> wake you up early to talk about this. And you are one of the world's premier researchers about the Dietlov Pass. And your work, we're going to get into it for the next two and a half hours, is looked at logically from researchers and and writers and scholars all over the world. And you have probably the best library on your website of information at dietlovepass.com. When did you first hear about this strange case and what got you addicted to it? It's always when you start doing something big in your life. It's usually when you have to fill in a void or you're looking for something new. I wasn't looking for anything. I was just bedridden, as you mentioned, and I couldn't travel for a while because that totally shattered my lifestyle. Like I I was always on the go. Never thought I'll be doing websites and translating uh, case files or anything like that. So while I was in bed and trying to uh, find a new meaning in life. Someone mentioned that I'm broken like one of the Dyatlov's group, and I have never heard of that name, Dyatlov. So I just checked, Google it, and all I could find was in Russian and not 
on a site or archive. It was in bottomless forums, people talking decades about this case and uh, hundreds of theories and stuff. So I just got annoyed that I don't know the basics of this case. Like I can't figure out how many people who went back, the traumas, who died, where, who found them, nothing. It was all a mess. I mean, the information was there, but it was all in Russian and it all just scrambled. People were arguing, confrontational, and I didn't know what's going on. I just wanted to know the basics. So this is how I started. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to research this case for the rest of my life or 10 years from, from now, today. I just wanted to know what the hell happened, what happened. So I started piling up and organizing information. This is uh, my uh, uh, obsessive addiction kicking in of order. I have to put everything in place so I can understand or remember because my my memory is not that good. So I, I needed a way to organize all the information. And it's a lot of information. Don't think that you can uh, grasp all the aspects of this case only from an article because usually articles are with headlines like oh maybe this cold case has been solved or it was an avalanche or it was yeti or something or that i mean all the journalists can do is an article and i have been witness how how much information they gather when they're a good journalist and then everything gets cropped from the final result that gets to you. So it's a, a very deep case. So I'm lay, laying in bed in hospitals all around the world, being evacuated from Kuala Lumpur to Vienna to Sofia, being operated on. And all I can think is uh, what happened in Northern Urals in 1959. So this case kind of a went into my bones literally because they were I, I had 35% of my bones broken. I had flail chest, my elbow. They didn't even bother with the little limbs. Like I didn't have the elbow. I didn't have a lot of broken things. They didn't believe that I'm going to survive. That's why they didn't bother to operate on my flail chest to start with. Uh, they were waiting for me to die because it happened in a, very little island where there there wasn't even a hospital. So they had to evacuate me first with a cargo ship. And so until I get to the mainland, I mean, Sulawesi in Indonesia, where they figure out that they, they shouldn't open me at all because I, I have a flail chest, like uh, six broken ribs and no scapula and no collarbone. So both my, my hands are actually floating and broken and who. Subdural hematoma, this is a, a, a big fun because while you're all on morphine, you start seeing zombies. Do you know how if, if uh, blood is flooding part of your brain and it doesn't process information properly, you start seeing people with their heads turn around or their arms coming out from their spines or something very strange and no one acknowledges that. Like I was in a hospital. I thought around me there's some patients or some victims of trauma, strange trauma, but they're all of them, even the, even the doctors. So I start asking, what, what happened here? And no one acknowledges that. So you believe, and the morphine also helps about that. The delusion that you're in the zombie land. You don't know what's going on with you. So that's why you focus on one thing. 
But the thing I focus on was the Dyatlov uh, case. And the weirdness there is also so much that you don't know, you, you have no escape. But still, uh, there I could make some sense and anything around me, I couldn't help. I mean, whatever happens, so I'm going to die, I'm going to die. It's nothing I can do about because it's the body. But the mind, you can work there. If you cannot escape in the real world, you escape inward. So I started just soaking up this case and I became very close to the dead. I was, I understood them. I didn't understand the living ones because they didn't make any sense anyway. So in that state, I'm, I started, so I know Russian and I started reading the case files and I found them because of my profession and archives and uh, uh, just, in places where you Google doesn't go, doesn't look there. And I started thinking, okay, so this is not even classified. Why is there no uh, proper place where people can read it? And next thing is, I see how Google translates this, and it's making out of the names weird things, like Karolev is the queen, and the uh, pathologist Vuzrujon is the 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 resurrected one and Blinov is pancakes. And then you, you see Google translating the cases like something like the queen found the, the resurrected one smoking pancakes in the tent. And when oh, I, no. I made a joke and uh, one, uh, one of the, uh, yeah, one of the, the, the mm, searchers is Blinov. So this is like pancakes. So every word in this sentence is a name and Google is trying to make sense. And one of the comments, you'll appreciate this. One of the comments under this sentence, because I said, see what Google does from this case. That's why it sounds so weird. He said, well, do you smoke pancakes more than one at a time? Like why smoking pancakes? plural. And I said, okay, so this is, (laughs) I have to translate the case files. And this is a long process. I spent maybe two years without communicating with anyone, just translating. I'm healing, I'm in and out operations and uh, surgeries, and uh, I'm just translating case files. And I never, never thought I'll figure out the case because it's too much information. It's not like, oh, did they disappeared and we can guess what happened with them? Nothing like that. All of the bodies are accounted for. We have a survivor who didn't actually went through the whole trek. So he returned on the third day or something like that. We have someone, no one else from the group knew and much older. Uh, we have two KGB agents. We have diaries. We have cameras, we have film rolls, we have diary entries and photos until the very last hour of their life. And then the problem is that when they were found, first the location is very remote. So it's like no one even knew where to look for them. But when they found them, they messed up with everything, with all the evidence, with everything. Even the, the investigator was, as, as they called them, a city investigator. He was not into his element. He didn't know what to do in the mountain, no proper equipment. He was cold. He was like, you know, taken out of his environment and put in, in, in Siberia. 
to investigate. So he was trying to actually think you can't, you can't function as a professional when you happen to be in Siberia for the first time. For the first time, all your senses get attacked by the environment. And I was a traveler. That's why I was, I was having such fun when I went with Josh Gates. It was like, I, I, I have been in places like that, Pamir and, uh, and avalanches and snow, and I love this. But all the people that go there for the first time in their city coats and shoes, they're like, I don't want to be here. This is what your brain screams. So this is the investigator. But you'll be surprised. Or maybe pleased is the right way, uh, the right word to use that. After three months of investigation, the lead investigator concluded that there is some uh, fireballs, energy sources, extraterrestrial that cause the deaths of the group. This is the official opinion of the lead investigator in '59. Of course, he was shut down. The official cause of, I mean, reason to close the, the case was that the, the group, the hikers met with overwhelming force that they couldn't survive, which can mean anything. But they just, they were clueless. So they closed it. And 30 years after the, the end, I mean, after the, the case was closed. The lead investigator published an article, The Mystery of the Fireballs, where he was um, apologizing to the families of the, of the victims, of the dead people. We don't know if they're victims or not, but the deceased, especially the ones that were hurt badly like me, broken ribs, flailed chest, high-velocity trauma, that he didn't do his job at the time, like he couldn't solve the case. He doesn't point to anything uh, concrete other than fireballs, mystery, and the state is to blame, and he didn't do his job, but these were the circumstances. So at the time, because I want to honor the well, the interest of your audience, at the time there were a lot of spottings of fire, phenomenon and glowing orbs and everything in the sky and uh, those were we have the paper clips until now from the newspapers we have the witness testimonies of both local uh sit like people that live there and the searchers which were searching for the Diatlov group. They even sent telegrams asking are there any experiments going on or what's this in the sky should they be worried about uh, what's going on and of course the, the response was nothing just nothing, nothing is going on um, not even a, no one responds to people, students in the mountains, just nothing. They were, uh, and um, so, of course, even to this day, the, the local indigenous people, the Mansi, they were quoting the orbs in the sky. Well, people, they, they tend to um, think that this is, uh, those are rockets and those are secret uh, experiments that were going on. So here, the theory of the weapon uh, mishap, secret weapons mishap, branches that 
One one theory says that the the group, the Dyatlov group, was affected by some kind of poisonous gas or something like killed them. And the other branch says that they witnessed something. And that's why the state, the government, sent people to clean them up because of what they witnessed. Oh, we have a, a small third branch that... Because we can't find anything in the documents that they, they had secret mission or they saw something or anything like that. So um, the third branch of the theory is that there was a second group that was in the area which had the mission, the secret mission. And when they were cleaned, killed, uh, just the Atluv group went along. Like they were mistaken for them or they were cleaned because they saw how they, the other group was cleaned. Well... Uh, this has basis in the fact that a lot of people are pointing the wrong reach of the mountain where the bodies were first spotted or found. Even the pilots are saying that they actually landed on the other reach of the mountain. But this is Urals. I don't know if you have looked at the map. Uh, Ural is a very long range, mountainous uh, range that divides uh, took Asia from Europe, Europe-Asia. It's vertical on the map when you look at the, uh, the, the world map. And uh, it, has, it starts very low. Like there is a southern middle, right? Um, if, you, if you can bring it up a little bit. Or, yeah, this is where it happened. This is the northern Urals. But if you click on the, uh, on the, on the Google Maps, you can actually see the whole Ural. Well, this is getting even closer, but if you it's, uh, click on, on the Google, I mean, if you zoom out, never mind. So uh, what I'm trying, oh, that, okay, a little bit further, more, more. Okay, so you see Ural, right? So uh, all of the... Uh, Okay, this is the Urals, and they were in the northern Urals. So we have the south, middle, northern, sub, uh, the polar, and the, so it's a, it's a long range. So when you zoom in, you will see that all of the, well, you can't see it from here, but all of the peaks look very similar. That's what I'm saying. And when uh, a aging pilot, now we have to, Understand that all of the people that were alive in '59 and taking part of the, uh, in this uh, investigation are now pretty old. They're 80, 90 year old. So some of them don't see very well. And that particular pilot who pointed at the, a ridge that it's not where the bodies were found, and we call that. Uh, well, not we, but the local call uh, this particular height collapse uh, hill, which um, nowadays it's. Uh, uh With Sotic 2 for moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, you could show off your skin again. And you know what that means? Beach day. As a Tick 2 inhibitor, Sotic 2 is the only once daily pill of its kind for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. Ask your dermatologist about Sotic 2 today and learn more at SoClearlyYou.com. That's SoClearlyYou.com. 
Isotictu decravacitinib is a prescription treatment for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis who may benefit from systemic therapy or phototherapy. Don't take if you're allergic to Sotictu. Serious reactions can occur. Before treatment, get checked for infections, including tuberculosis. Sotictu can lower your ability to fight infections. Don't start if you have one. Serious infections, cancers including lymphoma, muscle problems, and changes in certain labs have occurred. Tell your doctor if you have a history of these events or if you have an infection or symptoms like fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, or if you have history of hepatitis B or C, liver or kidney problems, high triglycerides, or had a vaccine or plan to. So Tic2 inhibits Tic2, which is part of the Jack family. People 50 and older with heart disease risk factors who use a Jack inhibitor are at increased risk for certain side effects, sometimes fatal. It's unknown if So Tic2 has the same risks as Jack inhibitors. Call 1-888-SOTYKTU to learn more. AT&T and Verizon lure you in with their best phone offers, only to lock you into a three-year phone contract. Three years! Missing out on the latest, greatest phones because you're trapped by your carrier. Not at T-Mobile. Break free from three-year phone contracts with our best Go 5G plans and say goodbye to being stuck with an outdated phone. Now, with T-Mobile's best Go 5G plans, upgrade when you want. Every year, or every two, you decide. At T-Mobile, you have more choice than ever to take charge of your upgrade. All on America's largest 5G network. Visit T-Mobile.com now to take charge of your phone upgrades. One-year upgrade on Go 5G Next requires financing new qualifying device and upgrading in good condition after six-plus months with 50% paid off. Upgrade ends financing and any promo credits. Ctmobile.com. The mountain of the dead, but in Mansi it means dead mountain because the mountain itself doesn't have any trees or uh, animals don't go there. Uh, it's just no life on the mountains. So like the dead valley, it's not because people die there, but because it's dead, the valley itself. Same thing for the mountain, but because of this case, now instead of that mountain is mountain of the dead, but the locals are calling it Hulatsuhu. And this is uh, at the time, no one was calling it anything, but with its altitude, which is 1,079 meters, by the way, the name of my book. So in all the documents, it says that the Dyatlov group died in the vicinity of high 1079 and uh, the pot well some of the people say that the the bodies were first spotted in a different place so this is why there is a theory that there was a second group um i am just coming from expedition there it was my third expedition as uh, they said and uh Believe me, what you see, the peaks are all, they look very similar. I mean, it's just green waves. It's like a sea of mountains, but there is nothing sticking out to make it more prominent or just to acknowledge what is what. They all look the same. And it's very misleading that they're not very big because they are vast. This is huge territory. Just the fact that you don't see it threatening, it doesn't mean that you can easily 
uh, traverse or uh, get from one place to another. And that's why a lot of people say that this, this, the, the, the whole area is very strange. And before I went in summer, I mean, after the Discovery Channel, we went with uh, Expedition Unknown in winter, which was great to see it for the first time exactly in the season where the case, ha- I mean, the tragedy uh, happened. But then uh, in, in winter, you only uh, try to actually survive the, the weather because it's my, like minus 50 degrees Celsius uh, and uh, it's freaking cold. And you only think of uh, what are the, yeah. I'm going to get you to hold on right there because we are going to go to break here. Lots of information to take in in that first half hour. We're going to get more questions in with Teddy Hadiiska from dlovepass.com when we return on Spaced Out Radio. Let's go back to 1959 when we return. All right, we're clear. Okay. So I have how long? We got five minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So how was I? Impressive as per usual. Okay, I'll be right back. No problem. I love her. I do. She's amazing. Amazing. Uh, The hat is right here. There's number one. Number two is right here. Mm-hmm. I went with this one tonight. Why? Because hunting season starts this weekend. Minus 20 Fahrenheit. Child's play. Child's play. It'll be minus 20 Fahrenheit where Filth and I are in just two months. Right, Dirty? And snow shoveling indefinitely. You're still a shoveler. I don't own a big fancy garage or car hold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a snowblower. But do you have to shovel your vehicle off in the morning? Yes. That's never fun. That is why remote start works very well. Yeah, I got one of those, but I let a car sit there for half an hour and idle. That's like $10 million. I know, but it's worth it. I'm a tightwad, Dave. You're the kind of guy who uses a credit card to clean his window. It's funny because it's actually true. <laughs> I knew it. Human, right. Car- How about Human Carl with that strong comment that he thinks the Dietlob Pass was caused by Godzilla? Could be. Mm-hmm. Or Raging Mammoth. Could have been. I still think there's mammoths alive in Russia. I do. Kind of like the thylacine in uh, Australia. I still believe the thylacine is out there. They need to send some people to the Headless Valley. 
the Dahani Valley needs to be find a fancy drone driver and get him to zip around there. Mm-hmm. I bet you did find dinosaurs. I don't know about dinosaurs. Hey, Cable Guy Matt is here, everybody. Let us remember that if you hit up Cable Guy Matt, you can hit him up for a free piece of coaxial cable autographed by Cable Guy Matt. Remember, folks, you cannot buy these in stores. Limit one per household. Mm hmm. That's how we do it around here, Cable Guy Matt. <clears throat> I saw Cable Guy Matt today. He's a good looking dude. Much better looking than you and me, Filth, to be blunt. Well, I don't set the bar very high. Well, me, uh, me either, man. I got a face for radio. A pixie Lara wants to know how Blob is tonight. Blob is hanging up with her mom. She was here a little while ago. Mm. How are you, Teddy? I'm good. Yeah, I, I was on mute. I'm back. I'm ready to go. I don't know what that says, but hello. <laughs> what does that say? Translate that for us. I think this is offensive. Uh, I think... Well, Taimen is my friend. This is one of the people that I went to the to the pass uh, in summer for both of the uh, expeditions. But I don't know what Chmo is, and I, I'm not even sure if that's a pure Russian or I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but Balatno, no, I, I know t- two of the three words. Taimen is my friend. They were both Oleg and Olga, and those are the toughest family couple that I have ever met in nice. in out in the world because they're they're carrying their own boat they they fish they they can survive in the wilderness for a long and they live in uh, Siberia and well they call themselves Taimen. This is about the, the Russians. They always call themselves with some other name, not the given one. Hold on one second, and, my dear. Oh, Hold on. Here we go with the second half hour. Second half hour of Space Down Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave Scott as we take a look around the other side of the world in the Dialog Pass tonight. Reminder to all of you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can find us in any major podcast format like iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. And our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag, follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram, Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. From dealobpass.com, 
We have Teddy Hadiska with us tonight. We are talking about the mystery of the Dialov Pass. Was it something cryptid? Was it something governmental? Was it aliens? Or was it something natural that killed nine hikers back in 1959? Teddy, let's go back to 1959. What happened here? In 1959, it is uh, very different what happened in what we know about what happened. So we're not even agreeing on the evidence that we have. It is so mm, disheartening that we look at the same facts and we interpret differently. Like everyone sees something and says, yeah, that confirms my theory. I see trees and say, yeah, a, a tree killed them. He sees a, a, a moose and says, yeah, the moose killed them. Uh, the, people see lights in the sky. They say, yeah, that's what killed them. Because the way they were found, the myriad of traumas, so different. The inconsistencies in the testimonies, in the case files and everything can actually map any scenario that you can come with. That doesn't mean that any scenario will explain all the weirdness, but you name it. You can tell, I mean, you can have and be assertive on a theory that the stove that they use inside the tent killed them or mushrooms that were given by the indigenous people killed them. Well, everything could have killed them. So what happened is that in 59, they didn't come back. So I'm, I'm going through the basics that, okay, this is what the case is about. And uh, there was a massive search operation to find them. This is the first strange thing because no one is sending so many helicopters, Air Force, uh, military, uh, so many people to look for missing hikers. That's usually something organized by the sports club where they are members of, because you couldn't go on expedition unless you are a member of a club because the club gives you equipment, permit, everything. I, I mean, normal people couldn't go on expeditions like that. They were not allowed and they didn't have the means. It's uh, We're talking about the socialism, the regime, the communism. And um, so they didn't show up when they were supposed to. And suddenly massive search operation went on the location and it turned out something that it's not so unusual, but uh, they were missing maps, routing books. They didn't even know where to look for them. So they sent helicopters to where they were supposed to go, their final destination, Pico Thornton. Uh, they, they sent many groups, many aircraft, so many places on their, on their route. And uh, at some point, uh, people on ground saw the tent on a slope. And that tent is very old. It cannot stand up on any... It was just propped on ski poles. And the tent is stitched from two tents to accommodate 10 people. And it's supposed to hang between trees because it cannot uh, stand... The, the wind and the elements just on the slope. If you put a tent like that on a slope, it has to be emergency or no chance to find any trees or shelter or from the wind because the normal 
normal uh, weather there are winds, very strong winds. I was there and that was a normal uh, day or night or whatever. So they find the tent. So far, nothing strange, but the tent is cut from the inside. I mean, cut as if you're escaping a bear and the bear is inside. So you have to cut it up and get out right away. And then there were tracks preserved in the snow. That by itself could happen in uh, places like that because of the strong winds, because they just blow all of the loose snow and the, the, the tracks remain protruded like, like little pillars like that. So they see tracks of the hikers or someone that is going slowly, orderly, on their own accord, not even one after another like you do in winter, but abreast as if they were discussing something or holding hands. But then you see some tracks deviating and then merging again. So it's not like they were uh, tied with a rope or holding hands or something like that. Because a lot of the theories say that they were couldn't see, couldn't walk, didn't know. They were you know, affected by infrasound, by poison, by a lot of things. The The... the stove exploded or it was using radioactive uh, the, the fuel you you can read many many things so we see the tracks let's go back to the facts we see the tent we have the tent which uh in um uh, there is one of the there are two expertises in in this case in the case files one is about the tent they gave it to a laboratory and then a specialist an expert studied all, all of the cuts and is testified that it's cut from the inside. But it's not cut like that in a panic. It's cut like opening two doors. Two doors, not one. Just like that. Big holes. Then we have the tracks. No experts saw the tracks and the case files don't have good photos. I paid for an expert. Expert said that these tracks are left by fit with shoes because the case files contain testimonies of the searchers, the, the rescuers that were on location, which said that these were left by, uh, by bare feet. But the only reason they say that because the bodies were found with no shoes. The bodies are found mile down the slope, one mile down the slope. On the side of the mountain that they have never been there. They came from the south. They, they put the tent on top of the, the ridge, kind of a, on the slope. And when whatever made them leave, flee the tent, whatever scared them to cut it open, they went on the unknown side, presumably during night when you cannot see a thing. I was there with Josh Gates. We couldn't see. I mean, you see your arm and that's it. Nothing more. And it wasn't even a bad weather. It's just that constantly the, the wind is picking up the snow from the ground and it's a whiteout. You can't see a thing. So if you are trying to escape from something, first you choose the place where it's unknown to you, the route going down, um, just I want to open a bracket a little bit. Now, if, if it's an avalanche, why are they going on the path of the avalanche? So 
I mean, it's not an avalanche. Uh, there are photos of the tent, of the area, of everything. It's not an avalanche. But anyways, th- that theory has its supporters. So they go down, they make a fire, they dig up a snow cave, a bivac, to spend the night. And this is how they start finding the bodies. Two bodies are stretched by their arms, obviously repositioned because they were like dragged under a big cedar tree and they're half naked. On the other side of the cedar tree, there is a campfire. It's a a fire that just died down because there, there is a lot of wood around, firewood, dead wood. But the fire is just not fed with, with wood. That's why it died down. And uh, uh, the, the, the people who found them said that by, judging by the burned log, the part of the log that was inside the, the fire, the fire has uh, burned for about 30 minutes. The contents of the stomach says that uh, they, they, they ate seven, eight hours ago. So, I mean, whatever happened... It took them quite many hours to go down, make the fire, and die. So, so far, we have found two bodies, right? And they start looking for the rest of the bodies. The same day, they find two more that look very differently from the first two bodies. The first two bodies are under the cedar tree. The second two bodies are going back to the tent, and they just died frozen on the, the mountain slope in dynamic poses, like they're going back. But they're going back without shoes, without jackets. Uh, even they wear the clothes of other people from the group, which is weird. Uh, so they found two, and the next week they found the third body. So we have five bodies so far. And uh, three bodies are going back to the tent, presumably. There, there are a lot of details, like the cedar tree where they found the first two bodies under had cut branches, not cut, broken branches, five meters high. And, uh, the, well, the, the theory is that they, someone climbed up and froze and fell down, and this is how it broke the, the branches, or it was going up, breaking the, branch, the branches for the fire, but... There were, there were a lot of dead wood on the ground to start with. So there was no any reason to climb uh, such a high tree. Uh, people say that they were looking for the tent to see, I don't know what. Um, there are many other things that are weird about the tent. For example, there was a flashlight found on top of the tent without any snowflake on top. And between the tent the tarp of the tent and the snow and the flashlight, there was 10 centimeters of snow. So it was snowing. Someone left a flashlight, forgot a flashlight on top of the tent, and that flashlight was never snowed on. So someone found them before that. There were other traces also, like from urination, that wooden preserve for one month because right. presumably they died and were found. They start finding the tent and the bodies a month after they died. So in the way that they were found, just fat chance because they were just the bodies under the cedar tree were just powdered with snow. With Sotic 2 for moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, you could show off your skin again. And you know what that means. 
Peach Day. As a Tic2 inhibitor, so Tic2 is the only once daily pill of its kind for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. Ask your dermatologist about so Tic2 today and learn more at SoClearlyYou.com. That's SoClearlyYou.com. Sotic2, Decravacitinib, is a prescription treatment for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis who may benefit from systemic therapy or phototherapy. Don't take if you're allergic to Sotic2. Serious reactions can occur. Before treatment, get checked for infections, including tuberculosis. Sotic2 can lower your ability to fight infections. Don't start if you have one. Serious infections, cancers including lymphoma, muscle problems, and changes in certain labs have occurred. Tell your doctor if you have a history of these events, or if you have an infection or symptoms like fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, or if you have history of hepatitis B or C, liver or kidney problems, high triglycerides, or had a vaccine or plan to. So Tic2 inhibits Tic2, which is part of the Jack family. People 50 and older with heart disease risk factors who use a Jack inhibitor are at increased risk for certain side effects, sometimes fatal. It's unknown if So Tic2 has the same risks as Jack inhibitors. Call 1-888-SOTYKTU to learn more. AT&T and Verizon lure you in with their best phone offers, only to lock you into a three-year phone contract. Three years. Missing out on the latest, greatest phones because you're trapped by your carrier. Not at T-Mobile. Break free from three-year phone contracts with our best Go 5G plans and say goodbye to being stuck with an outdated phone. Now, with T-Mobile's best Go 5G plans, upgrade when you want. Every year or every two, you decide. At T-Mobile, you have more choice than ever to take charge of your upgrade. All on America's largest 5G network. Visit tmobile.com now to take charge of your phone upgrades. One-year upgrade on Go 5G Next requires financing new qualifying device and upgrading in good condition after six plus months with 50% paid off. Upgrade ends financing and any promo credits. Ctmobile.com. But these things, I start thinking about them. How weird they are. Ten years after my first read on the case like initially you just eat up the way you read about the case okay these bodies are found and the problem is that usually the person or the article the source that you read about the case for the first time is feeding you a theory they're already telling you what to believe like i did now that it's not an avalanche because i hate this theory because it took so much public attention because it was that's the only theory that the Americans published, the avalanche. Right. So that's why I hate it, because it got too much attention. And now every everyone, well, didn't they, they solved that case. It's an avalanche. No, it's not. I mean, why you say that now that it's an avalanche since that was the first theory in 59 that was the avalanche? No one considered it solved the case until... Uh, 2020 until suddenly the Americans published uh, headlines in New Yorker and what's on. Oh, it's an avalanche case solved. Uh, Hollywood, uh, Disneyland, I don't know who made a 3D model and they said it's an avalanche. That must be it. That, that's what the headlines said. Anyways. Um, so basically everyone who tells you about this case, including me now, which I, I was, living such a happy life until I had the theory. Then I, I was so objective about everything. And um, now I go with, uh, on the expeditions that I go on, 
uh, usually everyone has a theory, but th- th- they're this couple, Taiman, they, they call themselves, uh, their names are Oleg and Olga. They're just a family uh, to, to people that travel. Uh, they're adventurers to right. the core of their, they're very cool. They call themselves Taiman because Taiman it's a type of uh, fish. I don't know. Their names are something else. But uh, they don't have a theory. They're uh, theory busters. They're meat busters and so on. So I accuse them the last time. Every every night when we go around, I mean, we sit around the campfire, everyone says, so he's a provocateur. He pro- provocates you. Well, tell me about your theory. And uh, then he starts poking the weak uh, spots on your theory. And I told him, stop stop doing that. I mean, you don't have a theory. That's why we cannot attack you and uh, make you look like an idiot. Everyone that's uh, d- d- defending a theory uh, looks like an idiot because nothing, um, nothing exp- explains it all. Nothing makes sense. Like everyone is 100% sure of something that sounds idiotic to the rest of the, that had some other theory or don't have a theory at all. So what I'm talking about. Uh, anyways, we're back to five bodies. Five, they found first five bodies. And right. then the, they had a special report, the party, the communist party. They said it's a hurricane. Okay, it's a hurricane, a tornado or something like that, because it sucked them up and it flew them down, dropped them, and they were, you know, there. But how do you, what do you, you when you're getting sucked out of a tent that barely stands up, you cut your way open for the wind to suck you in and your socks and all your jackets and clothes stay in the tent. I mean, then the paradoxical undressing, well, you, and this is what it looks like. Like they, they, they start taking their, their clothes off when they were going out of the tent. But if you're at the stage of paradoxical undressing, then you don't get better by going without shoes and naked for a mile down. You usually get worse. But then they came to their senses and started the fire. They became, you know, cold. They realized how cold. That that doesn't happen after you're uh, paradoxically undressed. Um and also, uh, it looks like they were taking clothes from the dead because they were, some of them were not wearing their own clothes. But that doesn't make sense either because some of them were actually swapped their clothes while they died at the same time. That's, you know, crazy. It, it's not possible. So the, the last bodies were found only two months after the the first group of bodies. This is why we talk about the first bodies and the last bodies. And the last four bodies were the ones that had the traumas that nothing can explain. They were found, I mean, the the last four uh, that hikers from the Dyatlov group were found in the creek under two meters of snow only in May. And only because the rest of the snow melted down, they were buried under a lot more snow. 
while where the tent was was hardly any snow. That's because all of the snow gets blown down into the ravine. So the ravine, the snow is really very deep. And um, the local mansi first saw some needles, some broken tops of uh, pine trees or something like traces. So they said you should look there. They dug up, they found first the den. We call it a den. It's like a, a branches laid down and some right. clothes, like made a place uh, to survive the night, something like that. Nobody's there, but 20 meters or something like some distance down the creek, they find a pile of four bodies, like dumped. Like they were hugging, but not exactly, but they're all on top of each other. And three of them... so. We had such a wide range of uh, um, uh, traumas in these four people. One of them has nothing but twisted neck, not broken neck. It's like uh, you can't tell by the by by the autopsy report. This is, by the way, the second expertise that we have the autopsy report. So we have the tent and uh, the coroner. Nothing else. It's uh, done by experts. So one of them has twisted neck in the way that you can twist it if you sleep in uncomfortable position. And the other three had high-velocity trauma, which the pathologist could compare only with uh, being hit by a car, fast-moving car. This is what I had when I started reading about the case. So two of them had flail chest, uh, just uh, smashed the ribcage. Uh, and, uh, the, the girl that I always say that my trauma is like, uh, Ludas Dubirina, a piece of her rib actually went into the heart. I'm not saying pierce the heart because I, I get responses. That's not exactly what it means in the autopsy report, but the, her heart got hurt by a piece of rib in a way that she couldn't survive more than 20 minutes. So. All of the theories that, okay, so we have two broken flail chests and one with caved in skull. Okay, Tibu was with caved in skull. So three of them couldn't survive at all. I mean, they were maybe breathing for another 15, 20 minutes. This is the words of the pathologist and dead. So all of the theories that say that something happened back on the slope a mile up when they cut open the tent and the, this trauma, then people, uh, their friends help them go down. That's nonsense, right? This is nonsense. First of all, they couldn't survive for that long. Second, there were no traces of any dragging. If those were the tracks of the hikers, there were no dragging, no limping, nothing. I mean, they were going down very calmly. And to me, so you can you can categorize theories in many criteria. Uh, one is crime if it's a criminal or natural. But to me, it's more interesting actually where the tragedy began. Okay. Or is it up on the slope or down in the ravine? Because between these two events, we have two hours span so if and all of the theories 
that you hear usually address some catastrophe event that happened. Well, it should happen at the tent, right? Because the disaster started from the tent. Where else? The tent, right? So if you, if we say that they were scared, they saw something, someone make them come out of the tent and go down, whatever, avalanche. Okay, it happened at the tent. And then people have to follow our victims down into the ravine because they looked like they had pretty good chance to survive for some time. Not for some time, survive, period. Because another group that actually two of our hikers were supposed to be in, another group was on a trek much more difficult, longer. And they were uh, in in that group until Dyatlov invited one of the girls that we believe he actually, you know, had some feelings for. And then the older guy who um, decided that he wants to go home sooner, uh, not to go on the more difficult track because... Yatluv group uh, track will give him the same. Um, the... Let's hold on right there. We're going to f- go to break here at the top of the hour. We have Teddy Hadiska from DietlovPass.com talking about the mystery of what happened to the bodies at Dietlov in 1959 in Russia in the Ural Mountains. We'll find out more when we return for this great mystery. Well, this, no Yeti, I promise. <laughs> Hold on, let's. Actually, there was a, do you want me to find you? Uh, there was a sign on, uh, when I was there 2021 that says, don't wake me up, Yeti. Like Yeti sleeping there. There was on the, I actually, on the outlier rock. Where is it here? <clears throat> I actually. A, a Yeti book. This was bought in the Himalayas by a gentleman named Nelson Dellis, who um, he bought it in a store in Nepal. And uh, this was uh, when he was going to try and climb Everest in 2020. I'll be right back, okay? Me, me too. Just give me. Hold on. We'll be right back. Don't don't worry, I got under control, Dave. Filth, it's all yours, man. It's all you mine. I think it is on. I hope it. If anybody can hear me, oh, I can hear myself talking through some other microphone. All right, as per usual, go to filthy.com, f-y-l-t-h-y.com, scoop my book, get one for your mom, and you know what? Even for your Estranged uncle. All the cats have been wrangled, by the way.
I think it's the first time I've ever drawn a, a Yeti. <laughs> I'm back and ready whenever Hi. you are. You have never drawn a Yeti? Uh, not, on, not in my cartoons, I don't think. No Yeti, I promise. That's a good one. Well, be prepared to draw a bear. Because I'm going to be talking about my encounter with a bear. I've seen a black bear in person when I lived in North Vancouver. It was across the street. It was kind of, it was at nighttime and I was on my way home from work. And I thought it was a cat or a dog or something, or a dog rather. And yeah, it it wasn't very big, but still kind of scared. The first thing I thought is, Maybe the mama bear is going to come charging out of somewhere and tear me to shreds. So you 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 believe this was the the little bear? Yeah, I think so. Okay. See, when they're in the city, they're not in their element. They're curious, but there's so many things around them that they're curious about, and they're in a protective mode, meaning a flea mode, that they're ready to scrum any moment because they're in a city uh it's uh, very different when you're alone no bear spray nothing lost in the woods where no one knows where you are and it's her environment it's the woods you she owns you she can do to you anything you she wants and she was with cups it was uh, one of the scariest experiences I had. So what happened with your bear? Because I'm going to be talking about mine later. I made sure that when I was walking, I was behind a car and I was looking through the windows as it went by on the other side of the, like the other side of the street. And so I just kind of walked as it went by. And then I, I ran away scared actually. The second I it got past me, I, Ran to my apartment, got in there, and yeah, it wasn't very fun. I also had the same thing happen with the skunk, but the skunk, skunk, I'd rather be a little bit stinkier than bit by a bear. <laughs> well, the bear won't just bite you. She's going to, you know, mangle you. There, I don't know. I mean, I haven't, but I learned a lot. It's like my geography. I only learn where places are when I go there. So it doesn't, it's not the same uh, listening to what to do when you meet the bear. Uh, it's not the same as when you actually do. <laughs> you you behave in a completely different way and you are not aware what you're going to do. Well, of course, if you have a bear spray, you're going to try to use it. But if you don't have anything, you are completely unprepared, uh, like devices, tools, and you don't know what you're going to do. I'm actually proud of myself, but I did one mistake that I dropped my backpack my subconsciously, I thought it's going to make me lighter, easier to run away, but you don't run away from a bear. And I absolutely didn't feel like running away. So why did I drop my backpack? Uh, it's supposed to stay on your back. And if the bear attacks you, you lay on your stomach and you spread your feet so, because she's going to try to turn you over. 
to yep. open your your guts. Yes, she will. They're mean Delicious. that way. Hey, guys, hold on one second. Big thank you to David and Lord William, Human Carl, and Deb for the great Super Chats tonight. Very much appreciate the love and support. Don't forget, you can join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. The link is down below in the description of this show. And here we go with the second hour, everybody. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Here we go with hour number two of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott, the man who wears a lot of tinfoil during the night. Yes, I do. Thank you to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Definians. Definians is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with Teddy Hadiska. She is one of the premier researchers into the Dyatlov Pass incident from 1959 in the Ural Mountains of Russia. And we are breaking down all what happened to the bodies and happened way back in 1959. Teddy, welcome back. Thank you, Dave. I was trying hard to remember where did I... You were talking about the four bodies that were found together. Yeah. No, I was talking about a, a different group who was uh, in uh, the same mountains, not, I mean, far away, but uh, they were on a much longer and more difficult uh, trek. And what happened is that their tent burned on the second day, burned down. Weird. So instead of going back, these people were so liking the experience, the adventure and everything. And they were very tough. So they continue with their trek and they had the, the, the first ascent in winter on three peaks and they did almost all of the, the plan, the program that they had and they, they turned back. What I'm saying is that you cannot, that's not what kills you that you abandon your tent. We're talking about the, the Diatlu group uh, destroying their tent and going back into the ravine, making up the fire, uh, the building up a, sh- a snow cave as a shelter. That should be, I mean, a, a good start to survive a couple of days. And if they go back to the tent and retrieve their, their clothes and uh, food, they should be good. So in any theory, including mine, uh, I don't know why at least some of them didn't survive because even I have a scenario which can cause the traumas and how it happened. And it didn't happen the way the case file describes the chronology of discoveries. It's a completely different 
uh, order of events that I, I propose after 12 years of research. Okay, 11 years of research. But um, at the time, they all of the theories just leave them in the ravine to die. With Sotic 2 for moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, you could show off your skin again. And you know what that means. Beach day. As a Tick 2 inhibitor, Sotic 2 is the only once daily pill of its kind for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. Ask your dermatologist about Sotic 2 today and learn more at SoClearlyYou.com. That's SoClearlyYou.com. Sotic 2 decravacitinib is a prescription treatment for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis who may benefit from systemic therapy or phototherapy. Don't take if you're allergic to Sotic 2. Serious reactions can occur. Before treatment, get checked for infections, including tuberculosis. Sotic 2 can lower your ability to fight infections. Don't start if you have one. Serious infections, cancers including lymphoma, muscle problems, and changes in certain labs have occurred. Tell your doctor if you have a history of these events, or if you have an infection or symptoms like fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, or if you have history of hepatitis B or C, liver or kidney problems, high triglycerides, or had a vaccine or plan to. So Tick 2 inhibits Tick 2, which is part of the Jack family. People 50 and older with heart disease risk factors who use a Jack inhibitor are at increased risk for certain side effects, sometimes fatal. It's unknown if So Tick 2 has the same risks as Jack inhibitors. Call 1-888-SOTYKTU to learn more. AT&T and Verizon lure you in with their best phone offers, only to lock you into a three-year phone contract. Three years. Missing out on the latest, greatest phones because you're trapped by your carrier. Not at T-Mobile. Break free from three-year phone contracts with our best Go 5G plans and say goodbye to being stuck with an outdated phone. Now, with T-Mobile's best Go 5G plans, upgrade when you want. Every year or every two, you decide. At T-Mobile, you have more choice than ever to take charge of your upgrade. All on America's largest 5G network. Visit tmobile.com now to take charge of your phone upgrades. One-year upgrade on Go 5G Next requires financing new qualifying device and upgrading in good condition after six plus months with 50% paid off. Upgrade ends financing and any promo credits. Ctmobile.com. Like okay, they they something scared them. They destroyed their tent. They went down and they died. No, you don't die from the fact that you have left your tent and you're down nine strong young people uh, there in their prime. Uh, um, I started saying that the oldest uh, one, he shifted from one track to another because it would give him the same qualification because he was a more rational person. He needed this for increase of salary. He wasn't uh, as young as them because they were singing, talking about love. I mean, the eight of them, the students uh, and uh, he was more mature. He was 10 years older. He survived the war and he was more practical. He was a teacher. Uh, so he was different, but he integrated well in the group. Although at, at the beginning, they were kind of uh, resistant to accept him, but they couldn't say no. Actually, Luda Dubinian wrote in the diary, how could we say no? That's why the implication is that the party, he was a spy, whatever, KGB. Um, so he was just um, in, included in the group to watch over them so they don't uh, 
go through Norway and escape the Soviet Union. And there was also one of the groups, uh, uh, one of the hikers in the group was working into a secret plant, a secret nuclear plant. He was, they studied all together, but he was already working. And he left, he resigned with a very strong words just before, months before the trek. And there is not uh, the, the, we are not sure if his uh, resignation letter was accepted or not, or he was moved to a different job position. But he said, I'm not going to work on this, under this regime. You don't say that in 59. You don't. And then after they died, the nuclear plant was sending letter after letter to the investigators to ask, did you identify the body of our engineer? No former, no nothing. If he was no longer with them, why were they so worried about identifying the bodies and um, his body? And so uh, just by going down into the ravine and not seeing anything that can cause these traumas, like we don't have a high crevice or something that they could fall from. You don't have a boulder. You don't have anything. And the only thing that can cause this trauma around the bodies is a fallen tree. But this is not where the tent was found. The tent was found a mile up. There is nothing around the tent. So the theories, I was starting to say that to me, the theories should be divided. Where did the tragedy start? Up on the slope where the tent was found? or down in the ravine where the bodies were found. See, tent bodies, tent bodies. So anything you can come up as a scenario, you have to link these two locations. And the only way, and you go uh, really nuts because there is nothing that can explain that because they must have gone zombie halfway down the ravine. Uh, nothing can explain why couldn't they survive or how did they die down there? They were all alive, leaving the tent. And what happened down there to kill them? It's, it's, we have a lot of information and nothing makes sense. So when you cannot explain the facts, obviously you go into a cover-up. Uh, you go into that everything is um, staged, that but why would anyone do that unless they kill them? Why would they kill them? So we have the Mansi indigenous people that are local and they, uh, they're everywhere. There are traces of them everywhere. Uh, the Yatu group was uh, walking along one of their trails. So we go with, uh, I mean, one of the, you know, even the Russians. They say it's the Mansi, it's a religious sacrifice, uh, sacrifice of the Russians that went through their sacred lands uh, because they even there's um, one peak that's called No Women Allowed and there were two, sorry, two women in the, in the group. Another version is that they came across uh, some gold. Uh, it's called Zalata Baba. This is like the golden treasure that uh, the religious uh, places they were hiding for the spirits of the mountain or something and uh, pure accident um, I mean it's 
the locals it's who lives there but then again that makes it look like no one else is there it's only you know yeti and the uh, mansi and some students lost in the taiga and that's not the truth because we have the gulag network those are the prisons the russian uh, the soviet union sorry the not gulags, russian yeah. the soviet union yeah the gulag and if though this uh, last um, uh, settlement it's not settlement it's a village where they um, last left their uh, letters postcards and everything actually it was uh, vijay but uh, if there is the place with the airport and hospital even two hospitals this is where the autopsies were performed if there is a huge uh, settlement with um what was it talking about <laughs> okay the train goes there to Ivdel and um, okay, so the Ivdelak, it's this is the Gulag, this is the prison, uh, and there is a whole uh, administration, their own hospital, and everything. So uh, another version is that some escaped prisoners killed them. But if you are a prisoner and you escape, which happens very often, you go, you don't go into the direction of Siberia where there is wilderness and you don't have any supplies and uh, skis and equipment or anything. No one knew where this group is. Even the group itself didn't know where they're going to camp. They, they didn't follow. They were behind their schedule. They didn't have their routing map with them. So how can someone find them? Only by chance, okay. But then in the tent, we have money, uh, all the food intact, uh, the, the, the cameras, the shoes, the skis, everything that an escaped prisoner would need for his you know, survival. And nothing was touched. That's why they discarded Mansi and prisoners, because first, there is no signs of foul play, and second, because nothing was touched from even the alcohol. I mean, how can they not drink the alcohol uh, from the tent? Uh, so we have the Ivdelak. We also have, well, that's one thing that I bring into the mix. And I don't know why no one is looking into this. Ural is has a lot of mines a lot of ore and sources resources and it's being exploited for minerals and everything gold uh, iron you name it so there is a geology uh, settlement a whole party that is working there it's working right where the tragedy happened and there Throughout the whole, all the documents, all the radiograms that were sent from the location of the, the search where they're searching for the bodies to the headquarters, to the search headquarters, is done through the geologist uh, operator. All the radiograms are uh, addressed to the head of the, ge the geology uh, expedition. And they were working there. And you have to, also the airplanes. They were constantly into the sky because this is the only logistic and transportation for this remote wilderness. So it's not like this is no one is there. On the contrary, they're working there. They're living there. 
There are so many people there. Well, it's true. It, now we go, we circle back of what this area looks like. It looks very easy to the eye, but then when you start walking, it, 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 it is like you're going into some dimensional reshaping. Things that look close turn out to be very far away. And I'm not talking about uh, some mysticism here. It's, I have read this so many times and people get scared because of this because they don't expect the distances to take so much time and just the, the, the illusion, the perspective of the landscape to change in such a way. It is weird at the least, if not threatening to the mind. I just... Uh, before I went in summer, I read an article because strange things, people start dying there, like the head of the, uh, of the, of the Yatluf, uh, group, Memory Foundation, uh, start feeling sick at the Yatluf Pass and died. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that year when that happened, I read some travel notes of people who had been there because I wanted to go there. Uh, in summer, and I won't be protected by all these, uh, you know, film crew. With Sotictu for moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, you could show off your skin again. And you know what that means. Beach day. As a Tic2 inhibitor, Sotic2 is the only once daily pill of its kind for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. Ask your dermatologist about Sotic2 today and learn more at SoClearlyYou.com. That's SoClearlyYou.com. Sotic2 decravacitinib is a prescription treatment for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis who may benefit from systemic therapy or phototherapy. Don't take if you're allergic to Sotic2. Serious reactions can occur. Before treatment, get checked for infections, including tuberculosis. Sotic2 can lower your ability to fight infections. Don't start if you have one. Serious infections, cancers including lymphoma, muscle problems, and changes in certain labs have occurred. Tell your doctor if you have a history of these events, or if you have an infection or symptoms like fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, or if you have history of hepatitis B or C, liver or kidney problems, high triglycerides, or had a vaccine or plan to. So Tick 2 inhibits Tick 2, which is part of the Jack family. People 50 and older with heart disease risk factors who use a Jack inhibitor are at increased risk for certain side effects, sometimes fatal. It's unknown if So Tick 2 has the same risks as Jack inhibitors. Call 1-888-SOTYKTU to learn more. AT&T and Verizon lure you in with their best phone offers, only to lock you into a three-year phone contract. Three years. Missing out on the latest, greatest phones because you're trapped by your carrier. Not at T-Mobile. Break free from three-year phone contracts with our best Go 5G plans and say goodbye to being stuck with an outdated phone. Now, with T-Mobile's best Go 5G plans, upgrade when you want. Every year or every two, you decide. At T-Mobile, you have more choice than ever to take charge of your upgrade. All on America's largest 5G network. Visit T-Mobile.com now to take charge of your phone upgrades. One-year upgrade on Go5G Next requires financing new qualifying device and upgrading in good condition after six-plus months with 50% paid off. Upgrade ends financing and any promo credits. See T-Mobile.com. 
opened with Josh Gates, I felt so secure because, I mean, you're all protected, right? But when you go with on your own, like adventure, you're exposed and that makes it really feel what the Dyatlov Pass is all about. And I read this article about this man who, and he's aged, who, who, who was dealing with Yatlov Pass for a long time. And when we, he went, he went with the group. So they were carrying their backpacks and everything. And I have photos and I'm looking through all of the uh, journey. And then he said that when he reached the Yatlov Pass, it, it, it is as if the pass start, started drinking him in quadruliters or something like that. And he felt open and that all of the energy that he carried in himself was sucked out and he was programmed, like deprogrammed or something. So it's not like you feel abandoned like a shell of yourself or without any powers. It's just like you are defragmented in a different way. And all of, like, you bring energy, you're giving different energy. It's like swapping, like you're renewed or something else, but it's affecting your destiny. That's the feeling. My feeling was the same. Even the first time when I went in the winter, uh, although, oh, and that guy, just to finish the story, he abandoned his group. He said that I've, I, I spent only three hours there and the past was done with me and I had to go back right away. So the past sent uh, some vehicles like the ATVs. He hopped on one of them, paid the guys and he abandoned group and everything. Three hours was all the past needed from him to be there and sent him back. Wow. Well, that's not what I felt there. It's very individual. Even the journalists... When they, when they shoot a movie or go there, really the, the worries that you go there with are kind of uh, overwriting the conne- connection you can have with the mountain. It's not that it's killing it. It's just you, you force your priorities and you look, oh, can I shoot the footage? Oh, uh, will the drone do this and that? You're thinking about photos and... You're not really allowing the consequences of your presence at the past to sink in. They're going to affect you maybe later on, but it's not the same experience. Although my experience the first time, because I, I saw that there is nothing I can help them with. They were high pros. They're professionals. I mean, I'm talking about the Discovery Channel film crew. So all I needed to just be ready not to crack but I'm not cracking. That turned out to be my element. And Josh Gates was just looking at me and saying, look at her. She's ready. She's always ready. Look at <laughs> I just wanted to go see, uh, experience. So when, while they were resting, because their job was really hard. You, you can imagine all this equipment, which is very heavy, and they have to operate with finite movements and they were not allowed to take off their gloves because you're going to be going to, you know, frostbite or something. 
at least you can feel your fingers. So what good are they if you can't feel them? How can you operate? And the lenses started frosting from the inside and the drones were going mad because there is a, magnet, uh, there is a magnetic anomaly. So everything that operates on GPS goes nuts. Uh, so they, they had a lot on their plate. And I was just staying still at the edge of the slope, looking of, of this vast thing in front of me. And I was thinking how small I am with all of my fights and hopes and struggles and uh, beliefs that I can actually have any control over my life. It's all for good because you're part of this big thing. But it, t- it tells you, in a way, I later on understood that what it sunk into my mind is there is no reason to worry. All these anxieties, all these uh, uh, endeavors to make something safe. Well, of course, you, you don't have to be stupid. Uh, that doesn't mean you take off your clothes and go down and that's like super okay with nature and the big plan for your life. But it's in your human effort to have uh, control over things. If, if you want to keep feeding this lie, just go back to the city and stay indoors. When you're out there, you're at the mercy of nature. I know it sounds like a cliche, but I felt it. I felt it. It's like, no matter what you think your trek or trip or journey is going to be and where it's going to end up, you have no idea, no idea what's going to happen to you. That's what I felt. But on the other hand, and that's my individual one, because everyone is different, absolutely different. You, even when you when you hear about what other people experience, you don't feel like this is yours. You're like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, that that, nah, I, I don't. That's not gonna happen to me. Or you're like, oh, that's gonna happen to me. Nah, nothing like that. So to me, you know what I felt, Dave? What did you feel? It, well, part of me just left there, and that's the only place why I feel whole. It's like it was beckoning. You're going to come again. Don't worry. Because we had to go back. We had only, I don't know what, three days of shooting. And it was all about, oh, the weather, the shooting, the this and that. And, of course, you have to watch the weather because this is what kills you mostly in the mountains. But I was so serene that I will go back. Uh, I will go back. And... Kind of my my life in between expeditions now I realize is actually uh, a little bit shallow because this is where my true self is. It I can't I can't explain because I have been three times and now I can feel it. I can now I know that until I go next year, my whole activity and effort is going to be to find a new the metal detector we need to find that metal pipe that it's 
out there and belongs to the geologists. I'm talking about, I don't go there to look at the sky and to feel the, the presence of the spirits. Okay, that happens without me planning it. But I'm after very real evidence. And uh, it's strange that no one else cares because it's my tree that killed them. Okay, my theory is that some a tree fell on top of the tent, but the tent was not there. Yeah, because the tent could not be on the slope for one month. Someone put it there just before they found it. That's why the flashlight was there. These footprints were not of the hikers because they can't survive one month. Teddy Hadiuska, lots of words there to break down as we have her for another hour here on Spaced Out Radio, filling us in on all the news regarding the mystery of the Dyatlov Pass incident of 1959 in the Russian mountains in the Urals. Spaced Out Radio continues with Teddy right after this. Stay tuned. My audience is loving you tonight. Loving you. (laughs) I'm loving them too. <laughs> I go there for them. I bring the past to them. They mm. can feel it through me. I hope. You are wonderful. Oh, thank you. Well, that's... I learned... Uh, initially, when I was having interviews, uh, I was trying to plan what to say, what do I want to say, something like that. And then I now it's effortless because I just show up and it it just comes out of me, of every crevice and pore and everything that opens in my... I am breathing the Atlov Pass. I didn't plan for this. It just mm-hmm. happens. It's soaking in me and I'm coming with all these ideas that are, are fruitful. I'm finding things on the pass. Things, real things. Like I went to, I took Kern's uh, course from the, from the trees and I'm finding metal objects that belong to the, the, the searchers, to this, to that. I'm, I'm going to prove that the tent was not there where it, it was found. Right. It's going to be awesome. Awesome when you do. Let me open the window a little bit. No worries. We got some time. Dog face, how you doing? Hi, Sandra. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Sandra. I could listen to her speak for on this for hours. That's why I'm just letting her go. Sometimes you just, I'm going to try and get questions in. I promise you. With Sotictu for moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, you could show off your skin again. And you know what that means. Beach day. As a Tic2 inhibitor, Sotic2 is the only once daily pill of its kind for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. Ask your dermatologist about Sotic2 today and learn more at SoClearlyYou.com. That's SoClearlyYou.com. 
Sotic2, Decravacitinib, is a prescription treatment for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis who may benefit from systemic therapy or phototherapy. Don't take if you're allergic to Sotic2. Serious reactions can occur. Before treatment, get checked for infections, including tuberculosis. Sotic2 can lower your ability to fight infections. Don't start if you have one. Serious infections, cancers including lymphoma, muscle problems, and changes in certain labs have occurred. Tell your doctor if you have a history of these events, or if you have an infection or symptoms like fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, or if you have history of hepatitis B or C, liver or kidney problems, high triglycerides, or had a vaccine or plan to. So Tick 2 inhibits Tick 2, which is part of the Jack family. People 50 and older with heart disease risk factors who use a Jack inhibitor are at increased risk for certain side effects, sometimes fatal. It's unknown if So Tick 2 has the same risks as Jack inhibitors. Call 1-888-SOTYKTU to learn more. AT&T and Verizon lure you in with their best phone offers, only to lock you into a three-year phone contract. Three years! Missing out on the latest, greatest phones because you're trapped by your carrier. Not at T-Mobile. Break free from three-year phone contracts with our best Go 5G plans and say goodbye to being stuck with an outdated phone. Now, with T-Mobile's best Go 5G plans, upgrade when you want. Every year or every two, you decide. At T-Mobile, you have more choice than ever to take charge of your upgrade. All on America's largest 5G network. Visit T-Mobile.com now to take charge of your phone upgrades. One-year upgrade on Go 5G Next requires financing new qualifying device and upgrading in good condition after six-plus months with 50% paid off. Upgrade ends financing and any promo credits. CTMobile.com. I'll try and get some questions in. But on a show like this where she's just pounding us with information, I sometimes it's nice to be a fan and just sit back and listen. I love it. Nina Williams, how are you? If you haven't joined our Space Travelers Club yet, go to Patreon. Sign up today. We got cool swag for you. We got 18 patrons. We want more. We want more. We do. This all looks like you, Dave, right? Hold on one second. Let me see here. What looks like me? The logo. Isn't it made to look like you? Mm, I just wanted an owl. Yeah, it looks like you. It's a good logo. Thank you. (laughs) And a mic on the... (laughs) Yeah. A mic for the beak. beak. Yeah, yes. cool. Yeah, I, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. <clears throat> and I'm a bear. And that was, finally, I met with a bear. Not in a zoo. Not on the streets. I chased it a bear is. up a tree a couple years ago. You chased a bear up a tree? Yeah. What did you chase it with? Me. No bear spraying or nothing? No, he was just uh, 
running around, and I'm like, come on, bud, you got to get out of here. And he ran up a tree. Okay, okay, yeah, they were feeling guilty that they're trespassing. But you, I have to go to the pass with you if you're scaring bears away. Oh, I love the bears. (laughs) I love the bears. I do. I, I... I'm mad. I've only seen one bear this year so far. Mm. That bugs me. Oh, yeah, Canada. Right. Yeah, there are a lot of bears. Well, we live in their grounds, kind of. I know. So. Uh, this guy This guy that I chased, um, he was uh, he was our, our resident bear for the, for the fall. And uh, uh-huh. he was so cute. So cute. <laughs> and he tried to come down one time. He tried to come down one time, and I'm like, I was like, no, dude, you got to stay up there. So it's way too dangerous <laughs> for me. You gotta, you gotta stay up there. Uh, one thing I, I do have to say here: thank you, Big Dog David, Lord uh, William, Carl, and Deb for the great super chats. Appreciate the love and support. Here comes the next half hour, everyone. We pass the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Great to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Always appreciate earning your listening ears. Reminder to all of you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news, wire, check out our swag. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can now join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. We're learning about the Dilov Pass tonight, and there's no better than Teddy Hadiska, our guest, who is breaking on down everything with her research, her website, dilovpass.com. You want to check it out, Teddy? Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dave. Glad to be here. Want to ask you in regards to the definition of how the bodies, you know, were all so drastically different in the way they they died. I mean, and, and the high strangeness around that. Why do you feel that it was trees that ended up killing them? Tree, one tree. Okay. Because well, of the trauma. Because this is this is what dawned on me that when a tree fell falls on top of a tent, and this is what happened here in Bulgaria, and I ran right to the morgue, talked to the coroner. Uh, very often, one is dead, the other one just walks away. That's what makes such a difference in an accident. When tree falls down, it can struck only some people and the rest just die from exhaustion, hypothermia, and just moral depression because they saw how three of the strongest people were just dead there. I mean, that leaves a lot of questions, of course. Uh, you cannot 
take the bodies from under a tree without cutting it up. And I'm still not finding a cut up tree. I Okay, people, uh, everyone knows that there is too much activity around the cedar tree. This is not left by just uh, coming down, dying from freezing, people who are trying to survive. There is a lot of cut branches, no knife found. Okay, isn't that strange? Uh, it's just, they say even the father of one of the victims uh, said in an interview that he believes that they were blind, blinded, some kind of a poison that made them blind. That's why they didn't see what they were doing. And yet they didn't found the tool that made all this um, activity there. So I believe that they were there just camping, a normal camping. And uh, for our listeners, if they don't know, the last document that is in the case files left by the hikers signed February 1st, which we believe is the the day when they died, when the accident or whatever happened. It's a satirical pamphlet. So they were in the mood of writing jokes. Like the pamphlet started with, um, we're greeting the 21st Congress of the party with increased birth rate among hikers. Or uh, the Armenian quiz, uh, can nine people warm up with one blanket? Things like that. I mean, there were jokes, obviously. So they were in a good mood. There was nothing written after that. And uh, all according to their plan, that was supposed to be the day before they ascend their last uh, destination, peak, Otorten. So they were having a very... Hard time with their backpacks. Uh, up to this day, the, the the trek went on the frozen bed of the river. And actually, the temperatures were very warm, which caused trouble for them for the snow was sticking to their skis and they had to constantly scrape it uh, down. That's why they were stopping so uh, often. And their backpacks were so heavy, the last entry by Dyatlov in the group diary, was that uh, they were tired, they cannot make it over the pass. That's why they're going back to make a supply, a cash supply of food and leave things to pick up on their way back so their backpacks get lighter. And because the wind was so strong, like from the turbines of uh, taking off jetters, airplane. So that wind is basically normal for the area. Uh, Otorten means uh, uh, the, the mountain of the wind, the windy mountain. There are many transcriptions of the, of, the, of the name, but what it's always present on the top of that mountain is wind all the time. So it's very hard to walk on top of the ridge. That's why I talked to uh, uh, cross-country skiers which are making the same route as the Dyatlov group even nowadays, not in memory of the Dyatlov group, just because this is a cool destination. And I asked them, where do you go? And they said, well, just where the tree line is, when the forest is over and the tree line ends, and before the wind picks up strong, so we're going around the forest. So it's like 
on on the slope. It's kind of a crooked for the skis, but when they go one after another, they make uh, uh, a track, a ski track. So they go there. And um, so the Dyatlov group, they were having problems uh, with the timing. Uh, they were behind and they were heavy and they were really uh, not in the mood to make some, to take risks as people say that they might have decided to go on the ridge and that's why they put the tent there so they can start up in the morning. But the problem with the tent being pitched there by the Dyatlov group, it's uh, there's m- many more problems, not, not just not taking the risk. Uh, basically, they don't have wood there. Uh, they have to carry wood from the forest up to where they're spending the night which they didn't there were no there was no wood found uh, there they can't even make a fire because it's too windy now uh you have to i, I know everything about uh, trekking in 59 now <laughs> i mean in the 50s in um soviet union uh, the stove that everyone is talking about is actually suspended inside the tent on an extra its own rope because it's heavy and it's a cylindrical metal cylinder which is fed with logs and this is burning just to heat to warm up the tent to cook they have to make a pit a snow pit put logs and cook outside the tent so when we're talking about cooking and heating those are two different sources for both they need wood and you can see in other tracks made by Dyatlov with the same tent where they were uh, camping in a treeless area one of them is just carrying wood it's all sticking wood it's I, I have published it's not just the case file all the information that's pertinent to that uh, track like previous tracks together all the tracks of these people in their lifetime, all of the photos we have about these tracks, their weaknesses, who was in what state of uh, physically and state of mind, who was heartbroken, who was injured, like Luda Dubinina had a hunting incident uh, two, two years ago. Their, uh, her parents didn't want to leave her to go on that track because she still wasn't fully... Um, recovered that's why her uh, backpack was lighter and the rest of the backpacks had to uh, uh, balance for that then the tent uh, hiker also had um, some sickness which is uh, uh, it didn't just occur on that track it was uh, sciatica and it got inflamed because they were taking a truck uh, on the back of the truck was windy and he got inflamed so he went back his supplies his equipment group equipment also get distributed into the backpack so they were heavy and uh, so they needed to rest and that last day when something happened, they had to just go for two hours from one forest to the other forest. That was the logical thing to do. And that was according to their plan. Pitch the tent on one side of the Dyatlov Pass, then pitch it on the other side of the uh, uh, the Dyatlov Pass. Wood, water, everything is perfect. They had to um, regain their strength and just climb a tartan the next day. That That's all. That's straight. That's straight. That's logical. 
why why would they pitch the tent there in 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 the slope do i mean risk every another thing i i talked to um um mountaineers and uh, rescuers from the 50, from 59 it's actually if you do that if you make a risk um camp site somewhere just on a wimp you're going to be disqualified because you are taking unnecessary risk and because this is not what mountaineering is teaching you so they had the rules and the fact that they had this older guy who wanted it easy and straightforward and go back and later on we know that he had just a baby and his wife left the baby on the threshold it wasn't a wife it was a common law uh, the woman she had other kids and by at that time because so many men died in the war it was okay to have as many kids as you can even if you are not uh, married to uh into a marriage so she left they 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 had confrontation something and she left the baby at his threshold so her mother was taking care of the baby and she, he was in the middle of all this mess when he went on the trek and he wanted to go back to straighten it up uh in so he won't allow taking something that is going to disqualify him and make his trek so much harder which no one from the rest of the group wanted to make it hard on them and um so to me and that's one reason that i i don't believe diatlov would do that right. uh decide to put the tent there and the second one is that the the state in which that tent was found it wouldn't survive for a month when we went with with uh, discovery channel we had the last uh, modern technology camp uh, tents and everything for the film crew right and we were sheltered by the rock i mean behind the rock uh, the whole campsite was behind the rock we had normal weather nothing special and the day we left the gatlov pass everything was destroyed by the wind and this is sheltered we were sheltered by the rock now why would Yatlov decide to pitch a tent 500 meters away from that rock wall first of all why on the ridge second why didn't he take a shelter and just make it in this crooked slope there that's so uncomfortable and uh and even if he did that 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 tent would just be blown away that's what happens with tents on that place when uh, here is uh, something behind the scenes mm, when uh, i reached the camp uh, with the expedition unknown the first thing a woman asked is where is the toilet right so i asked where is the toilet they told me well it's behind we have a special tent behind the rock you you go around and you see it the weather is normal meaning i can see the end of my hand it's a white out but i can see my hand so i mm-hmm. go in search for the toilet and i see a silhouette like that which is like violently shaking like that like uh, like uh, if you're sick or something violent like that and i start shouting Hello, do you need help? Should I call someone? Hello, what's going on? And that silhouette just flew away. 
I was like, weird. Okay. What? That was the tent. I thought it's a human being. So I just, I was just turning around because everything is weird. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I didn't know what first, what the, the tents look like and, uh, what does uh, blown away? And in my in my head, I have this hurricane uh, theory, which was the first uh, special report of the party in '59. And my for a split second, I was like, "Okay, so it was a hurricane. I'm next. <laughs> I won't even have the time to share that revelation that it was a hurricane." So what what I mean? It's bad weather. Uh, the normal weather is very bad weather. And down in the forest, everyone says, you're between trees. You're sheltered. It's all quiet down. You have the protection. That's what, that is what it is about camping in the taiga. At least you have trees. You know, trees. And you always take advantage of this. And trees can shelter you and they can also kill you. So, yes, it's a very freak accident. But then again, if it wasn't a freak accident, why are we still talking 65 years after the fact? We're still arguing about basic facts on these case files. And we go to extremes like, oh, these people were not these people. They exhumed the older guy, Zulutaryov. He was exhumed from his grave to see if that was him. Well, they, they found a loophole because, uh, you know, well, Komsomolska Pravda and the journalist that's dedicated to 10 years of her life uh, only investigating the Dyatlovchi, she's so, I mean, she's uh, very stubborn. So she found a bureaucratic loophole that in the registry of the cemetery, there is no such a person registered to be buried there. So she used that, uh, made the family file for, to exhume the body, and what did we do? It's a circus. It's a charade because the body was there. All the traumas were exactly as they were mm, described in the autopsy report from the 59. And then we take DNA and they send it to a laboratory and Russian TV real time, I mean, in the real time announces that it's not him. And everyone's like, what? And still to this day, it says in Wikipedia, I don't know where that it's not him. So this started like a fire, like, okay, so who is he? What's that? Da, da. And there is already enough about the tattoos that no one has seen because he's a physical uh, the education teacher. He's not supposed to have any tattoos. He's not a, a prisoner or something. So why is all he's covered with weird tattoos that no one has seen, not his family, not his pupils. And now we see that it's not him. Well, what they had to say is that the sample was not conclusive. I mean, the test was not conclusive, not that it's not him. So they just phrased it in a way that it, it, it created a sensation. And then there was a second uh, DNA test and it, uh, uh, it, it's him, but they cannot exclude his brother. That didn't, Died down any any. With Sotic 2 for moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, you could show off your skin again. And you know what that means. Beach day. 
As a TIC2 inhibitor, Satic2 is the only once daily pill of its kind for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. Ask your dermatologist about Satic2 today and learn more at SoClearlyYou.com. That's SoClearlyYou.com. Sotic2, Decravacitinib, is a prescription treatment for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis who may benefit from systemic therapy or phototherapy. Don't take if you're allergic to Sotic2. Serious reactions can occur. Before treatment, get checked for infections, including tuberculosis. Sotic2 can lower your ability to fight infections. Don't start if you have one. Serious infections, cancers including lymphoma, muscle problems, and changes in certain labs have occurred. Tell your doctor if you have a history of these events, or if you have an infection or symptoms like fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, or if you have history of hepatitis B or C, liver or kidney problems, high triglycerides, or had a vaccine or plan to. So TIC2 inhibits TIC2, which is part of the Jack family. People 50 and older with heart disease risk factors who use a Jack inhibitor are at increased risk for certain side effects, sometimes fatal. It's unknown if SOTYC2 has the same risks as Jack inhibitors. Call 1-888-SOTYKTU to learn more. AT&T and Verizon lure you in with their best phone offers, only to lock you into a three-year phone contract. Three years. Missing out on the latest, greatest phones because you're trapped by your carrier. Not at T-Mobile. Break free from three-year phone contracts with our best Go 5G plans and say goodbye to being stuck with an outdated phone. Now, with T-Mobile's best Go 5G plans, upgrade when you want. Every year or every two, you decide. At T-Mobile, you have more choice than ever to take charge of your upgrade. All on America's largest 5G network. Visit T-Mobile.com now to take charge of your phone upgrades. One-year upgrade on Go 5G Next requires financing new qualifying device and upgrading in good condition after six-plus months with 50% paid off. Upgrade ends financing and any promo credits. See T-Mobile.com. Of the, 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 the scandals, because now they said they replaced it with his brother. So the journalist from Komsomolska Pravda, Natalia Versegova, she goes and starts looking for his brother who was a spy. He was executed like a, a public enemy. So she finds his... Um, uh, that certificate. Well, he was he was shot because while his uh, village was occupied by the, by the Germans, he worked for the Germans because you have you have to feed your family. Well, I mean, not everyone that was working for the Germans was a Nazi, and a, you know, right. but they he got executed. So now we get the theory that see nothing deters the the conspiracy theories so they said that he was uh, made believe that he's dead but he was replaced with his brother to do what exactly i mean you have your pick that he was testing he was kamikaze he was testing some very special uh, weapons that um actually misfired and punched us emergency balloon filled with poisonous gas what was launched with from i don't know where so it was really an accident that they didn't uh, think it through and they were exposed to that gas and that the search was delayed with exactly the half time of uh, this poison to not be detected into the bodies of the Diatlov uh, group uh, hikers. I mean, how did they see all of the theories? They don't explain the high velocity traumas when you ask them. Okay, so and how how ex- Okay, so they went mad, blind, 
suffocated and died. So how did the high velocity that only a car can explain or a fall from a high uh, high floor? And they said, well, they just tripped and fell on, on the stones and caved in their, their skull. Well, the coroner said um, that this is not possible that another person can inflict this kind of trauma with a stone or blunt object, or you cannot fall and break your bones in such a way from your own weight and height. But they start going after the coroner. Who is he? Uh, they made him say that. Uh, it's, uh, well, you can find a lot of discrepancies in the, in the autopsy reports too, like the, the dead spots don't, don't match any of the positions. But then again, when I ask a real, um, I mean, nowadays a modern pathologist, what does he think about these autopsy reports? He said, well, First of all, did he perform them in a known environment? Was was this his work? No, he was brought from, you know, someplace. And how many autopsies did he do of this? Uh, so th- these bodies were really in a bad shape. Four. And he doesn't dictate or anything. He just performs all these autopsies that are very hard of the broken chest and everything. Uh, caved in, and then he has to make notes of that. So some of the phrases look like they were just copy pasted. Like all of the, the the dead spots are on 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 the back, and they were found in very different positions. So they can be. Then there is that he he could. A lot of uh, specifics is about frozen bodies, and in my theory, it's uh, you have to really go into details of this case. There is a testimony of a nurse in Ivdelmorg who says that she has cleaned five bodies before the group was even missing and prepared for autopsy. The coroner saw them and they were, I mean, prepared for funerals, not autopsy, because this is this was the normal order at the time. If there is no signs of foul play, there are no wounds, bites, nothing, and it's obvious that they died from freezing, they just cleaned them up and waited for the family to pick them up. And they were actually usually buried um, in the local cemetery. But then these bodies disappeared. <laughs> so, I mean... Uh, it's a lot that I can explain with uh, not a criminal. It's a human, very, you, you have to be disturbed by something, but the regime can do this to you. I think they were found once by the helicopters and they were brought to the morgue, five of them. And then during it, it was the 21st Congress of the Party of Khrushchev. This is what the, the, the dead hikers were talking about in their satir- satirical pamphlet. And suddenly there is this unprecedented massive surge. And they learned, I mean, they, the bosses, like the party, the geologists, the, the military, the Ivdelak, they're all the bosses, they're friends, they drink buddies. And they learned that there is going to be a massive surge by the state on their location where they're working right there. I'm going to get you to hold on hard to believe we're through two hours with Teddy Hadiska talking about the Dyatlov pass tonight. When we return from the break, we're going to get to her, your questions. I know they're piling up. We're going to try and get to as many as possible. 
Steve Stockton from Among the Missing will be next with his cute little story. Yeah. We're going to have fun. Hour 3 of Spaced Out Radio is coming up right after this. Stay tuned. Six minutes, Teddy. (coughs) Be right back, people.
All right. I am back. Danny Staten, how are you? All right. What else do we have here? AK and HBSM, welcome to SOR Chat. So, Teddy, I'm just going to play a quick story here for four minutes, and then we're going to get into some audience questions for you, okay? Okay. Yeah. Having fun? Yes. Good. <laughs> By the sunlight coming in your window, it looks like it's going to be a nice day there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is these days. Mm -hmm. nice. 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 I'm going to run in the park. I wish there were bears there, which is going to motivate me to run faster <laughs> or not run at all. I'm just going <laughs> to, I, I'm so slow, I'm just going to turn around and fight it. Tell them to put up his dukes. That's the right thing to do. Yeah. You don't outer on a bear. No, very true. I want to say thank you to Deb, Human Carl, Lord William, David, and Big Dog for the great super chats tonight. Thank you. Join the Space Travelers Club, will you, at uh, Patreon. And the link is below in the description. And here we go with Hour 3. Hey, Justin, how are you? you like to connect with us head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info now back to dave scott and sor third and final hour of spaced out radio is now underway thank you so much for joining us my name is dave scott very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call earth hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates across north america and digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Definians. Definians is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the clam sets a password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com, we have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag, follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go to kick off hour number three. Steve Stockton is here with another spooky story. Hello, friends. Welcome to Among the Missing YouTube channel on Spaced Out Radio. I'm Steve Stockton, and I'm about to take you on an unbelievable journey of people just like you. Their stories and encounters will haunt us on Among the Missing. Now we have the case of Lance Herring. It's not uncommon for individuals to run away from their obligations. In 2006, 
U.S. Marine Lance Herring disappeared while hiking in El Dorado Canyon, Colorado. Lance had recently returned from Iraq and was expected to attend training at Camp Pendleton for potential redeployment the following month. Unfortunately, Lance never showed up and went into hiding. His friend, Steve Powers, assisted him in faking his disappearance. The search for Lance consumed numerous hours and cost thousands of dollars. Steve Powers initially claimed to have received assistance after Lance suffered a head injury from a fall. However, when law enforcement officials accompanied Powers to the scene, Lance was nowhere to be found. Powers eventually confessed to fabricating the disappearance, but not before an extensive search was conducted for the missing Marine. Lance was ultimately located in Washington State in 2008 and was charged with unauthorized absence. Lance confessed to the authorities that he had orchestrated his own disappearance to evade being sent back to Iraq. Due to desertion, Lance was held in the Camp Pendleton Brig for 33 days. In 2009, he agreed to a plea bargain offered by Boulder County that required him to complete 18 months of probation and continue receiving medical care for his head injuries in Iraq. And finally, we have John Darwin, the Canoe Man. Financial difficulties can be highly stressful for individuals and may cause some to contemplate disappearing to escape their problems. In March of 2002, John Darwin, a teacher and prison officer in England, went kayaking at Seton Carew, but failed to attend work later that day. He was reported missing, but John was not found despite an extensive search of the 62 square miles of coastline. A double-ended paddle was discovered in the sea the following day, and his kayak wreckage was eventually located, leading authorities to presume he had perished. On December 1, 2007, Five and a half years after being believed to have drowned in a canoeing accident, John surprised London's West End Central Police Station by walking in and announcing that he thought he was a missing person. However, his deceit was uncovered when pictures of him posing for a photo in Panama were discovered online. Before John's reappearance, a police investigation had already been initiated after a colleague of his wife, Anne, raised suspicions about her claim on her husband's life insurance policy and subsequent move to Panama. Why did John fake his death? The couple were allegedly in a financial bind. John considered all his options and settled on faking his death to cash in on his life insurance policy. In an interview with the BBC in 2016, Anne said she knew John, quote, couldn't live with the shame of bankruptcy, end quote, but could not talk him out of his final decision. As darkness fell on March 22nd, John pushed his red kayak back toward the shipping lanes and fled to the Cumbrian coast. Meanwhile, Anne helped set his plan in motion. John found inspiration in the book, The Day of the Jackal, and searched through the library's death records to find a new identity for himself. He discovered John Jones, born in Sunderland the same year as he was. Jones had died at just five weeks old. A librarian John had befriended supported his passport application and provided a copy of John Jones' birth certificate from Sunderland's records. Investigators discovered that John had been using a fraudulent passport belonging to the deceased child, which allowed him to travel without being questioned. The story of the canoe man extends well beyond the crime, and the individuals held accountable for it. Some people are still struggling to recover from the aftermath of John's behavior years later. And thank you to Steve Stockton from Among the Missing. 
for another great story. If you want more just like that, what you need to do is go to youtube.com forward slash among the missing and check it on out for yourself. Just subscribe to it and everything is free for you. We are going to continue on with our talk about the Dietlov Pass. Teddy Hadiuska, we have her till the bottom of the hour here. And Teddy, we're going to get to some audience questions here, if you don't mind. Let's start off with Nav Spotter. I have to ask, do you think it was a polar bear that ripped through the tent from the inside, eating the skull of the head and ripping the leg off or part of the clothing? What's your thoughts, Teddy? There were no polar bears there. Well, you mean a bear? A bear in general, let's just say. Uh, well, there were no marks of animal of any animal on the bodies, and also the experts said that the cuts were made with a knife from the inside. And a bear would do do it differently. And also, if anyone escaped the bear, why would they walk down the slope in such a manner? It just didn't look like a bear attack. And also, at that time of the year, to be a bear, it has to be a bear chatoon, uh, which is a bear that has been woken from the hibernation. They hibernate at this time of the year. And they're really scary. These bears can really, because they're, zombies they're very uh, fatigued this is why they can't hibernate because they don't have enough uh, fat and strength uh it's uh very very dangerous to get to um, across a bear like that that's why it's different in summer you make noise to announce to the bear that you're approaching in winter you are trying not to wake them up but it didn't look like a bear attack and they were just would scattered they're nine people so she's gonna eat one two three i mean she can't kill them all and also the skull of the head were eating the skull who said the skull was eaten i mean the skull was caved in not not eaten i mean like from a blow and there were no marks on the bodies whatsoever no bruises no cuts no not no wounds that's why it makes it high velocity trauma because you are with a pink skin, and I experienced myself firsthand. Uh, everything is intact on the outside, and you're a bone soup inside. That's why it's called uh, high-velocity trauma, because it hits you, and you're all broken and dead. But outside, you don't have any signs of uh, any wounds, and an animal attack would leave a lot of wounds. All right, let's move on to another question here. This one from Brown Dwarf. Teddy, have you found any correlations between the Dyatlov Pass and the Korovina? In- With Sotictu for moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, you could show off your skin again. And you know what that means. Beach day. As a Tic2 inhibitor, Sotic2 is the only once daily pill of its kind for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. Ask your dermatologist about Sotic2 today and learn more at SoClearlyYou.com. That's SoClearlyYou.com. Sotic2, Decravacitinib, is a prescription treatment for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis who may benefit from systemic therapy or phototherapy. Don't take if you're allergic to Sotic2. Serious reactions can occur. Before treatment, get checked for infections, including tuberculosis. Sotic2 can lower your ability to fight infections. Don't start if you have one. Serious infections, cancers including lymphoma, muscle problems, and changes in certain labs have occurred. Tell your doctor if you have a history of these events, or if you have an infection or symptoms like fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, or if you have history of hepatitis 
hepatitis B or C, liver or kidney problems, high triglycerides, or had a vaccine or plan to. So Tick 2 inhibits Tick 2, which is part of the Jack family. People 50 and older with heart disease risk factors who use a Jack inhibitor are at increased risk for certain side effects, sometimes fatal. It's unknown if So Tick 2 has the same risks as Jack inhibitors. Call 1-888-SOTYKTU to learn more. AT&T and Verizon lure you in with their best phone offers, only to lock you into a three-year phone contract. Three years! Missing out on the latest, greatest phones because you're trapped by your carrier. Not at T-Mobile. Break free from three-year phone contracts with our best Go 5G plans and say goodbye to being stuck with an outdated phone. Now, with T-Mobile's best Go 5G plans, upgrade when you want Every year or every two, you decide. At T-Mobile, you have more choice than ever to take charge of your upgrade. All on America's largest 5G network. Visit T-Mobile.com now to take charge of your phone upgrades. One-year upgrade on Go 5G Next requires financing new qualifying device and upgrading in good condition after six-plus months with 50% paid off. Upgrade ends financing and any promo credits. CTMobile.com incident yeah very uh, um, familiar with the Korovina incident uh, actually Chivrai and uh, the um, Korovina incident are the two that are compared with this uh, Karovina is the leader of this other group who suddenly start behaving very strange only because they were cold and maybe because they were eating some plants the previous day that could cause some kind of a nausea. But uh, I even have uploaded a video on my channel, not that I recommend watching it because it's really... Uh, how they find the bodies, and there were like no reason to die whatsoever. They were just starting uh, screaming, crying. One of them was hitting his head on a stone, just plain behaving crazy. And that even happened in August, like not even in winter. There wasn't snow, anything. So uh, if a common numerator between the two cases could be going mad, uh, you could say that that's the only parallel, but I don't find anything in the Dyatlov case uh, that speaks of them being out of their minds because I don't believe that they cut open their tent just because the tent wouldn't stand for a month there. So I don't believe they cut it and that uh, they went down naked and sh- without shoes. So my answer is, uh, go- if your theory is going crazy, then there could be some parallel. Uh, by the way, in Korovina incident, uh, there is a survivor, a girl sh- who went, she saw everyone dying around and she took her sleeping bag she went down in the in the forest spent the night went back up saw everyone everyone dead she survived never wants to talk about it anymore i mean we we can't even retrieve uh useful information from a survivor who was there at the beginning till the end just these people crowing incident is a very weird incident just they start dying from something. I don't know. I haven't read their autopsies, by the way. I, I, not in such a details. I just know the facts that they, how they were found. 
there is information on my site. Um, I don't believe it's the same case because in the Dyatlov case, most of the um, weirdness happened after the incident. Who found them? When they were found? I believe they were found twice. That they were brought, some of them brought back to the Dyatlov Pass and that created all of the strangeness uh, in this case. I don't believe their death was so um, strange. It was just a natural incident. And what happened after that, the staging and the reason for the staging is what makes this case so cold and such a mystery. While Kurovina incident is a real mystery. I, I, I don't have any theories why they died. We know how they died. They start crying and going crazy. And uh, uh, the last thing that they said in a, some kind of a rational way is that one of the boys came to Korovina and said, I'm cold. We are all very cold. They had tents and everything. They went cold and crazy and died. All no right. idea. All right. Let's get to another question here. This one comes from Cat Chaser. Teddy, do you have any info about the camera or pictures found after? Info. Well, I have a lot of info. I have uh, all of the negative, I mean, not personally, not in the drawers behind me. I mean, uh, I have scanned the negatives and all of the photos, all the prints of the photos, and they're not complete set whatsoever we know that there is a missing camera and there the weirdest thing is that there are a lot of prints of photos that we don't have negatives about and we don't know the sequence in which they were taken and those photos are the most important ones like the last photo which the lead investigator based his conclusion when they pitched the tent and where they pitched the tent we have only a print of this photo and no negative so where the if there are negatives out there I mean, film roles that we haven't seen, then what else is on those roles? Because what happened is when they found the tent, there were cameras inside and also film rolls in tin canisters, the way they were these years. So the lead investigator took this, speaking of uh, chain of evidence uh, and crime scene, and gave them to a student who was part of the search and who was actually supposed to go on that same track, gave them, sent, sent all these films to the students to develop in their bathrooms, in their homes, and said, even without seeing what's on them, the lead investigator said, print as many copies as you can and distribute to friends and family because they're going to blame the hikers for making mistakes just to prove that everything was okay during the trek. Why these words? Why this? So, uh, and we have this last photo, the, the evil eye, the white and the, with the black dot inside, which uh, the big... Uh, discussion is if it, this is a technical frame which you do by playing one one last uh, pic taking one last picture just to make sure that to free up the film how they did with old cameras usually all of the films end up with shot that looks like this because it's out of focus and it's not aimed at anything it's like it, it's aimed at the floor and you just take one last picture to make sure it's not, it's a technical thing. So, but other people pay based 
a whole branch of theories that this is the last photo that was taken by the hikers uh, of the um, perpetrator, of the alien, of the spaceship, of uh, you name it. I mean, you can make anything out of this last frame. And we don't know where it was taken. We see that it's a last frame, but there is no metadata like a metadata. Like nowadays, we know the GPS coordinates and the date and the time and everything. It's just the last frame of the shot. It could have been taken from by the searchers. Uh, by the way, an interesting fact. The investigation didn't have their own cameras. So they were taking all of the pictures you see in the case files were taken with the cameras of the of the hiker of the Dyatlov group. I mean what what can I tell you? All right. It's, it's let's get to it's another It's a mess. It's a mess. Let's get to another question here. Pepe H is asking, what do you think of the picture of the dark figure they took a couple days before the incident? That's the Yeti, right? <clears throat> the Yeti photo. I guess. Yet. The Yeti photo, yeah. <laughs> well, the Yeti photo was taken with uh, presumably Thibault's camera because we don't know which camera belonged to whom. Uh, just only by the photos, that, but they very often exchange cameras. So, um, but he liked to play. He was the joker. So you have to look the fo- at the photos before the Yeti photo. We call it the Yeti photo. It's an out-of-focus silhouette of a Yeti, but you can see in the blur, you can see the track that's connecting the photographer with the Yeti, which means Yeti came from the position where the photographer is. And the previous photos on that same uh, film, they're of that... Tivo, I mean, that guy that we believe the camera belonged to, playing. He was having a, a, what do you call it, a tripod that he can put the camera on. And he was playing, falling in the snow, getting up. So you see him actually bent over and getting into the distance. And it to me, if someone didn't tell me, put that in my head that this is Yeti, I would just say right away that this is him going to pee in the forest and someone took the camera and without adjusting the focus, just took that photo of him who is just peeking behind the the, the trunks of, of the tree. But it's not Yeti following them because there is a there is a track that you can see that Yeti was where the the person taking the picture stands. And just distance himself into the into the forest, which of course this could be the track where the Yatlov group was coming from, and Yeti was following them. So when they turned around, they make a picture of the Yeti. But why there is no mentioning? Well, by the way, there is a mentioning of Yeti of the satirical pamphlet, that same one that says we're going to increase the birth rate among the hikers. Uh, it says we're now in the land where Yeti lives. But it's not like they made it on the, the, the Discovery movie, Yeti, the Russian killer lives. They said that in a scramble note inside the tent, it says, help us, help us. There is Yeti behind us. We're nothing like that. All right. Let's so, ask. I don't believe this is Yeti. Yeah. Okay. I, I believe this is Tibo. All right. Let's get another question in. Let's go to Sovereign. 
There was a movie made about the Dilob Pass, and it showed the hikers were getting close to an underground monster base, and it also showed that that base being built there because there's a wormhole there. Looked a lot of Hollywood to me. What's your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are... I love the movie that actually put me into the Dyatlov case uh, topic because this is the Devil's Pass, and I saw the movie, and just before I deleted it from my memory, I saw based on real events. I was like, what? There's zombies, Nazi bunkers, uh, teleportation, I, you name it. I, it's a horror flick, right? Yes. Based on real events. So this is how I started reading about Dyatlov. And a lot of the movies that you see, it doesn't matter how deep into the wormhole they go in the rabbit hole or whatever with uh, special effects and ideas. If they're talking about the Gatluf group and that just fires up the interest to the case because we're trying to warm up the case. Uh, anything that brings attention to the case is good because... Uh, like me, my, my contribution here is that I'm looking for real evidence. Did you know that in Siberia, the, the trees preserved for thousands of years and all the metal objects that were used in 59, they were so thick that they're still there in the ground. We just dug up a pile, a mountain of metal objects. And everywhere where they were camping, no matter who, the geologists, the searchers, the Dyatlov group, the hikers, they left a pile of tin cans. So now I know all the standards and I can read which year this tin can was produced. And I know the expiration date and everything. So we can tell who was camping there. And I'm going to prove the geologist was there. Okay, so back to the wormhole. Yeah, well, what? I saw the movie. Movies need that. I mean, this is the juice that makes uh, the, the, the imagination People like movies like that. So, yeah, I saw the movie, and uh, I'm still looking for the wormhole, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Teddy, we have less than a minute to go here. I want to get one question in from Emmy. Was it true that the area where the young people died had high radiation? Not the area. This is one of the strange um, things we can explain. Let even off, uh, be between the discoveries of the bodies uh, in February and uh, May, he lost it. He seemed disattached from the case. He lost interest. But when he found the last four bodies, he um, appointed radioactive analysis of their tissue and clothes. And this, we, we can understand why. Well, I have a theory. I think because of the, all of the UFOs in the sky, he was reassigned to another case. And because of the Cold uh, War, they were looking at the the United States, what they're doing. What... So I think his interest was picked up by all the sightings of the UFOs in the area. And that's why he uh, he ordered the uh, radioactive analysis. But it turned out that only three clothes, three pieces of clothes. All right. Teddy Hadiiska, her website, dealovepass.com. Thank you for coming on the show. When we return, it's Dave 101 on Spaced Out Radio. We'll be right back. Great job, Teddy. Great job. Thank, Thank you. you. I'll let you uh, go for your run now. 
Really? Really. Are we done? We're done. No. <laughs> okay. Well, Dave, anytime when you think of me, I'm available, okay? I love you, my dear. Thank you so much. Okay. I love you, too. Take care. Okay? Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Teddy Hadiyiska, everybody. How awesome is she? She is amazing. Her knowledge, she's like an encyclopedia on the Diet Lob Pass. Love her to death, and that's why we bring her on for you. All right. That was good. <clears throat> that was good. <clears throat> that was fun. Terrible times. How are you? Good to see you. Dogman UK, good morning to you. Fart hard, sovereign farts. Desert Rat, how you doing? I'm glad you guys enjoyed her. She's amazing. She really is. Oh, yeah, Doug Shelby. Pardon me, the Doug Shelby. We will have her on again.
Jen Basin, welcome to SOR Chat. It was dead air, can't chase her because I wasn't speaking. Thank you tonight to Debster, Human Carl, Lord William, David, Big Dog, and A. Brock for the amazing super chats tonight. Reno 2024 for the third annual SOR fan party. Yeah. Silver Reef Casino. That's where we're going. May 10th to 12th, 2024. Put it on your calendar. I want to see all of you there. We're going to have some great visitors hanging out with you. Special guests that you'll hear on this show, like Varla Ventura, Katie Page, Jim Goodall, Science Bob. Our entire team's going to be there. We'd love to have you there as well. We're going to introduce more people. We're going to try and get Becky Vickers there as well. Hey, don't forget, you can also join our Space Travelers Club Go to Patreon for that. The link is below in the description on YouTube. And uh, let's uh, have some fun here. All right, let's do this thing. We've rounded third. We're heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Reminder to all of you that if you've missed most of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can check out all of our podcasts as well on every major network from Spotify to iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and everything in between. Our website, spacedoutradio.com, we have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is that time of the week where I give you my thoughts. It's the Dave 101. It's time for Dave 101. Open up the door, it's Dave! Dave, D-A-V-E! With Sotictu for moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, you could show off your skin again. And you know what that means. Beach day. As a Tic2 inhibitor, Sotictu is the only once daily pill of its kind for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. Ask your dermatologist about Sotictu today and learn more at SoClearlyYou.com. That's SoClearlyYou.com. 
Sotic2, Ducravacitinib, is a prescription treatment for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis who may benefit from systemic therapy or phototherapy. Don't take if you're allergic to Sotic2. Serious reactions can occur. Before treatment, get checked for infections, including tuberculosis. Sotic2 can lower your ability to fight infections. Don't start if you have one. Serious infections, cancers including lymphoma, muscle problems, and changes in certain labs have occurred. Tell your doctor if you have a history of these events, or if you have an infection or symptoms like fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, or if you have history of hepatitis B or C, liver or kidney problems, high triglycerides, or had a vaccine or plan to. So Tick 2 inhibits Tick 2, which is part of the Jack family. People 50 and older with heart disease risk factors who use a Jack inhibitor are at increased risk for certain side effects, sometimes fatal. It's unknown if So Tick 2 has the same risks as Jack inhibitors. Call 1-888-SOTYKTU to learn more. AT&T and Verizon lure you in with their best phone offers, only to lock you into a three-year phone contract. Three years! Missing out on the latest, greatest phones because you're trapped by your carrier. Not at T-Mobile. Break free from three-year phone contracts with our best Go 5G plans and say goodbye to being stuck with an outdated phone. Now, with T-Mobile's best Go 5G plans, upgrade when you want Every year or every two, you decide. At T-Mobile, you have more choice than ever to take charge of your upgrade. All on America's largest 5G network. Visit T-Mobile.com now to take charge of your phone upgrades. One-year upgrade on Go 5G Next requires financing new qualifying device and upgrading in good condition after six-plus months with 50% paid off. Upgrade ends financing and any promo credits. See T-Mobile.com. There was a tweet that really angered me the other day, and for once it did not have anything to do with UFOs, even though I could easily explode on that topic once again this week. No, it came from paranormal investigator Dakota Layden, and this is a gentleman who is on Destination Fear, okay, and this guy who is a very good, very popular paranormal investigator, feels that he got screwed by the networks and Zach Bagans for his show, feeling their show was gaining too much popularity too quick, and that is the reason why it got canceled. So, look, this is a competitive business. This is something where we all kind of look out and... We're all trying for a big break. I'm trying for it. Many others are trying for it. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. So after Destination Fear got canceled in the U.S., they have now set up a YouTube channel called Project Fear that you can go check out, watch their episodes. and They're very well done, very well accomplished. But there was something that kind of bugged me about this one tweet that he put out. And I responded to it. Normally I don't respond to this kind of stuff, but this one actually needed to be responded to. It was about saying that all paranormal shows should be canceled. That all they ever do is bring up the same things. He believes that the investigations are rigged on these shows to make them look more haunted than what they are. And it is what it is. That has been the big rumor going on 
for years, whether it's Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Hunters International, or any show in between. But why do they have to be canceled? That's a very arrogant comment. Very arrogant comment. And I realize that Dakota has some anger inside of him, and he probably should. I don't know the guy. I've only dealt with the guy once, and I'll tell you right now, I put him on my ban list for never coming on this show because of the arrogance of him wanting to come on this show, asking me to come on this show. I finally book him. He gets picked up by the television network, and all of a sudden he can only come on for 10 minutes. I said, no, we're doing a two-hour show. Then it's 20 minutes, and then, well, no more than half hour because he's got a red eye to catch. I said to his agent, no, he doesn't. I said, this is TV arrogance coming out now. But this isn't about Dakota. It's about the tweet. Just because you don't get your way, and this is to all paranormal, cryptid, or UFO people on TV, just because you don't get your own way, doesn't mean that you got to try and ruin it for everybody. I know a lot of people in paranormal television, and there's some very, very good people who are doing it. All right? I know good people who are working the cryptid scene, and I know good people who are working the UFO scene. But tantrums like this are what embarrasses our entire field. The UFO world is turning upside down and it will not stop rotating because of drama. The paranormal world has all had drama where all they're doing is playing with ghosts and ghost hunters out there. You may not like what I have to say, but I'm going to tell you, you're not solving anything scientific. Stop using the word science Eliminate it from your vocabulary. Take it off your website. You're not doing anything. You may have scientific questions, but you sure as hell are not doing anything to get scientific answers. So just stop. Cryptid people are pretty much the same way. As I stated recently to our audience, I got asked to speak at a Bigfoot conference next year. But I'm not allowed to speak anything woo, anything overboard that may make people think that the creature may not be flesh and blood. Why am I angry about this? Because my experiences say it could be something different. Now, I'm not saying that Bigfoot isn't flesh and blood, but I'm open to the idea that it could be something a little bit more different, maybe even supernatural. But there are people out there who claim they're conducting science once again, and they are excluding evidence because they don't want UFOs or paranormal activity or stories of disappearing Bigfoot, vanishing Bigfoot, to taint their research. Well, let me tell you something about this. 
That's not scientific. I know, out of anybody I know, probably the least about science. That's why I went into journalism, so I didn't have to do science anymore. But the funny part about it is, on this spaced-out radio journey, I have met a lot of scientists, and I've learned from a lot of scientists. Very smart people, people with doctorates and professors and have gone on to be agents and everything in between. And this is what I've learned. True science never closes the door on anything. This is why the scientific community is having a very hard time with Neil deGrasse Tyson and his anti-UFO stance. Because he's talking without reviewing the information, the evidence, the articles that have been written. No, he doesn't want to put his name on that because that's going to ruin his persona. So here it is. Science, out of all the scientists I've talked to, have taught me one thing. Science is not opinion. There is no opinion if you have a Bigfoot vanish right in front of you or you have one of those translucent creatures that you get a photograph of that roars right beside you. And it's happened. What is happening? It's hypocritical. And if you're not willing to take a look at anything to do with the evidence, anecdotal or not, then you're not accomplishing any answers. You can't get water from a dry well. Unless you dig deeper and try and find another spring in the water or spring in the ground. This is what I find that is very pathetic about the entire industry of paranormal, supernatural, cryptids, is the hypocrites that are in this field. Okay? Too many people want to use opinion as science. Too, too many people want to use their ego to shoot others down. This is why, over the last few months, I've really backed off from following things on Twitter or following things on social media because it has just become unbelievable the amount of arguing, bickering. Why can't we just enjoy a good story? Why can't we learn from that story, investigate that story? Just because it hasn't happened to you doesn't mean that it hasn't happened to other people. Not everybody gets alien abducted. Not everybody goes into the forest to see a dogman. And in the cryptid world, 
We've seen some ugliness too. Bullying tactics, people trying to shoot down other people's information because they don't believe it. That's fine and dandy. Okay? Keep it away. If you don't like someone, what happened to the days where if you didn't like someone, you just didn't talk to them? What happened to the days when you didn't like someone, you just ignored them? And if you saw them in the shopping mall, you walked the other way. What happened? But no, we got to complain. We got to whine. We got to make up stories. Put people down because they're... AT&T and Verizon lure you in with their best phone offers, only to lock you into a three-year phone contract. Three years! Missing out on the latest, greatest phones because you're trapped by your carrier. Not at T-Mobile. Break free from three-year phone contracts with our best Go 5G plans and say goodbye to being stuck with an outdated phone. Now, with T-Mobile's best Go 5G plans, upgrade when you want. Every year or every two, you decide. At T-Mobile, you have more choice than ever to take charge of your upgrade. All on America's largest 5G network. Visit T-Mobile.com now to take charge of your phone upgrades. One-year upgrade on Go 5G Next requires financing new qualifying device and upgrading in good condition after six-plus months with 50% paid off. Upgrade ends financing and any promo credits. CTMobile.com. Hear that? That's the sound of your money slacking. Make it work harder for you at Sunbelt Federal Credit Union. Featuring high-yield certificates of deposit with just a $500 minimum deposit. Like 10 months with 5.27% annual percentage yield. And 18 months with 5.33% annual percentage yield. Visit your nearest Sunbelt branch or go to sunbeltfcu.org. SFCU is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Opinions are different. People who are keyboard investigators bitching about people who are boots on the ground. Doing the dirty stuff. Trying to find everything. You know why? Because everybody wants the clickbait. That's right. Clickbait has become more important. Clicks and followers have become more important than the actual investigation. And whether it's paranormal, cryptid, or UFO, it is time for us to start holding more people accountable. Not on their information and their stories, because you have to watch your own opinion. But you hold them accountable by how they are treating others. How they are going about treating people. It's one thing if you're calling somebody out as a faker because they're claiming something on their resume that they're not. But just because you don't believe their stories doesn't mean that they didn't happen. We need to do better. We need to hold ourselves more accountable. And we need to be able to share that information that we've learned with others to the best extent that we can. That's the way we get closer to solving the mystery. We don't want to, 
because we're afraid of what other people may say. And right now, people should be afraid. There's a lot of back-talking in the field, a lot of backstabbing. I had one of my SOR team members just the other day get backstabbed for the last couple of weeks. It's not fun to watch. It's not fun at all. We don't need it. We don't want it. And we need to do better. All of us. You as listeners need to do better. Me as a host, I need to be better. And just present what happens. That's it. How can it be that hard? I don't get it. But apparently to some, it is. That is your Dave 101 for this week. I know it was all over the place, but I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know your opinion below. Because we need your opinion. We need your thoughts. We need you to let us know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Here comes Shirky Poo's news. What time is it? It's time for Shirky Poo's news. Oh, we got some beauty stories for you tonight. I don't even know where to begin with all of these. Well, let's start right here. How would you like to be on this aircraft? All right. Delta flight from Atlanta to Barcelona last week had to be diverted for 90 minutes into its flight due to a biohazard on the plane. No, it wasn't chemicals or gasoline or oil or jet fuel. The pilot of the flight, DL-194, told air traffic control that the plane had to turn back after a person had diarrhea all the way through the airplane. A person known as DW on X wrote, My partner was on that flight. It was pretty bad. It was dribbling down the aisle. Smelled horrible. The vanilla-scented disinfectant used on it only made the smell like vanilla poop. After the plane landed, it was thoroughly cleaned. They didn't leave until around 2.30 a.m. Could you imagine? Wow. Yeah. This person also said the flight was met by emergency vehicles and EMTs carried the sick passenger off the plane. She says, my partner said the plane was cleaner when they got back on at 2 a.m. than it was the first time when they got on. No smell either. Another passenger named John, who was traveling with his wife, described the scene as a real mess, as the soiled carpet had to be ripped out and replaced with new carpet. Praising the airline and airport staff, he wrote, Considering the circumstances, the ground crew did a great job. Staff spent five hours cleaning the cabin, and the passengers were flown out, arriving in Barcelona the next afternoon. Wow. That's a pretty crappy situation, isn't it? Oh, I had to throw that pun in. Bad cop. Bad, 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 bad cop here. All right. If you're a cop, okay, one thing that you may not want to do, okay, is use your vehicle to make out with your mistress. A Maryland police officer has now been suspended after he was caught on video making out with a woman before joining her in the back of his cruiser. 
Huh. Yeah. PGPD Executive Command is aware of a video circulating on TikTok with one of their officers. As soon as we became aware earlier today, we opened an investigation to determine the circumstances. The police department has since confirmed that one of its officers, Francesco Marlette, was filmed with a woman outside and then getting into the cruiser. He's been suspended during the ongoing investigation. It's also revealed that in 2016, Marlette was disciplined internally on sustained administrative charges of unbecoming conduct, child abuse, and unbecoming conduct, assault second degree, and was fined for his actions. The video was posted on TikTok, has more than 2.4 million views. The clip shows Marlette and an unidentified woman kissing next to a car in a lot that appears to be next to a park as kids are heard playing. And at one point, a few run through the flame. Nelson Ochoa, the man who filmed the incident, said he couldn't believe what he was seeing in broad daylight with kids around. The pair are then filmed entering the backseat of the cruiser, where it's safe to assume the officer was not reading the woman her Miranda rights. While police said the relationship between Marlette and the woman was unknown, the officer's now estranged wife, Paula, claims the woman is her ex's mistress, whom she identified as Virginia Pinto. Yeah, Paula says, there goes my husband and his mistress. She added in another post that it's been a very tough time for her and her three children, concluding that her post by saying, I love you all, except for Virginia, you can rot in hell. Oh, that is a woman scored right there. Oh. A Florida man who was attempting to cross the Atlantic Ocean in a man-made hamster wheel is facing federal charges after it took the U.S. Coast Guard five days to bring him to shore. That's according to a criminal complaint in Miami. Bellucci told, uh, let's, pardon me, the Coast Guard spotted Reza Bellucci, 51 years old, some 112 kilometers off the coast of Tybee Island, Georgia, back on August 26, while making preparations for Hurricane Franklin. The complaint filed in federal court said Bellucci was charged Tuesday with obstruction of boarding and violation of a captain of the port order. Bellucci told the Coast Guard crew he was attempting to ride the hydropod vessel to England and that he had a Florida registration, which he was unable to locate for them. The officer said the vessel was afloat as a result of wiring and buoys and determined that Bellucci was conducting a manifestly unsafe voyage. While they attempted to get him to leave the vessel, Bellucci told him he had a knife and threatened to harm himself if they didn't leave him alone. Well, they didn't leave him alone. Yeah, he's now in jail. All right, that is your news for the week. And big thank you to all of you tuning in. Steve Stockton from Among the Missing and Teddy Hadiyiska from dietlogpass.com joining us for a wonderful, wonderful night of information on that mysterious story. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at work, at home, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAP, Facebook, Spreaker, LinkedIn, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter, 
at hashtag spaced out radio. Remember, this show is copyrighted by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us, because together, my friends, we own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. The sheets are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night. AT&T and Verizon lure you in with their best phone offers, only to lock you into a three-year phone contract. Three years! Missing out on the latest, greatest phones because you're trapped by your carrier. Not at T-Mobile. Break free from three-year phone contracts with our best Go 5G plans and say goodbye to being stuck with an outdated phone. Now, with T-Mobile's best Go 5G plans, upgrade when you want Every year, or every two, you decide. At T-Mobile, you have more choice than ever to take charge of your upgrade, all on America's largest 5G network. Visit T-Mobile.com now to take charge of your phone upgrades. One-year upgrade on Go5G Next requires financing new qualifying device and upgrading in good condition after six-plus months with 50% paid off. Upgrade ends financing and any promo credits. Ctmobile.com. Achieve your financial goals with Sunbelt Federal Credit Union. With just a $500 minimum deposit, you can access high-yield certificates. 10 months with 5.27% annual percentage yield, or 18 months with 5.33% annual percentage yield. Visit your nearest Sunbelt Federal Credit Union location and learn more at sunbeltfcu.org. That's sunbeltfcu.org. SFCU is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration.